Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, Austin Kopic is joining me, and we're going to be looking at the astrological forecast for December of 2023. Uh, hey, Austin. Hey, Chris. Hey. All right. So um, we're recording this today on Saturday, November 25th, 2023, starting at 3 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. It's actually 3.15 p.m. Um, in the first hour of this episode, we're going to discuss some recent news and events that have happened since our last forecast about a month ago. And then in the second hour of this episode, we're going to jump ahead and look at the astrological forecast for December. So there are timestamps on the podcast website if you want to jump ahead to the forecast about halfway through this episode. Um, so first, before we get into the news, I want to give a quick overview of the astrology of December, just to give you a preview of some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about later in this episode. So let me pull up the planetary alignments calendar here. Um, the first thing that we start with at the very top of the month is that Mercury moves into the sign of Capricorn and departs from Sagittarius right away on the 1st of December, although Mercury is actually going to go retrograde this month, so it's going to return back to Sagittarius later in the month. Then on the 4th of December, Venus goes into the sign of Scorpio. Two days later, the planet Neptune stations direct in the sign of Pisces on December 6th. Then the following week, we get our first lunation of the month, which is a new moon in the sign of Sagittarius. Um, on the 13th, the very next day, we have Venus stationing retrograde in the sign of Capricorn and beginning a three-week retrograde period. The following week, the sun moves into Capricorn on the 21st. Then Mercury conjoins the sun, and we get the halfway point in the Mercury retrograde cycle with the sun-Mercury Kazemi on the 22nd, and then the very next day, Mercury retrogrades back into Sagittarius, makes a retrograde ingress into late Sagittarius. The following week, on the 26th, we get our second lunation of the month, which is a full moon in the sign of Cancer. Then a retrograde Mercury conjoins Mars in Sagittarius on the 27th of December, Venus moves into Sagittarius on the 29th, and finally Jupiter stations direct in the sign of Taurus on the 30th at the very end of the month, and then that brings us to the end of 2023. So that's some of the astrology that we're going to be talking about later in this episode, um, but first I wanted to do some news and events since a lot of stuff has happened, I think, since our last episode because we recorded the last forecast on October 23rd. And that was just um, days before we got our second eclipse of the month, which was a um, eclipse uh, in the sign of Taurus on the 28th of October. And just so much um, has happened since then in the world. So we want to talk about that and review some of the major things. So um, as always with the news segment, our goal here is not to cover all of the news since our last forecast, um, since that would kind of be impossible, but instead our goal here is to focus on news stories that we noticed a really compelling astrological correlation for that we wanted to write down and sort of record for history. That way, um, as astrologers, we can kind of learn from what happened over the course of the past several weeks. So these forecasts always serve this dual function of both predicting the future in the second half, but also looking back and reflecting and recording on what happened over the past month and sort of um, saving that for posterity in the first part of the episode. Um, does that sound good to you, Austin? Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's try doing that again. All right, let's do it. All right. So like I said, the last 
um, forecast we recorded was on the 23rd. And this was just before the lunar eclipse in the sign of Taurus that happened on the 28th. Therefore, several of the major news stories that I wanted to mention relate to what happened around the time of the eclipse. Um, so the first one, of course, was in Israel and Palestine, where um, we last recorded on October 23rd, when we last recorded then, Israel had been bombing Gaza for two weeks at that point, and Israel had told the entire population of northern Gaza to evacuate south, to move south on October 13th, which was exactly on the same day of a solar eclipse in the sign of Libra. So at the point when we recorded our last forecast, forecast, we were waiting for the ground invasion to begin. And in fact, what ended up happening is the ground invasion started right on the second eclipse on October 28th. And on that day, um, Netanyahu announced that they had begun the quote unquote second phase of whatever they're, they're doing there. So um, it began with them cutting off all communications to Gaza, I thought, um, which was really striking that weekend because that eclipse was taking place at the same time as a Mercury-Mars conjunction. And so the manifestation of that partially was very literal of a, a severing of communications at that time with Mercury, the planet of communication, and Mars, the planet of cutting or severing. I think that's a pretty literal manifestation, right? Yeah, and also the uh, the phenomenon of, of blackout in general, of there being no signal where there's supposed to be some signal, whether that's like light or radio or internet, um, is uh, is also an eclipse signature thing. Um, sure. Where just as you know, with a lunar eclipse, uh, it's supposed to be a bright full moon, and a portion of it is gone, or it's dark, or the sun is supposed to be bright during the day. There's supposed to be presence, um, but instead you get a conspicuous absence. Is um, a very eclipse thing so like um suddenly not being able to communicate or hear or see yeah for sure and that was another thing i learned last month the other thing about the symbolism of eclipses that i understand much better now doing that and doing the eclipses episodes that i did over the past month was also when one of the luminaries gets eclipsed it's like there's almost this snuffing out of the principle of life and i think that's one of the reasons for a lot of the negative associations including associations with things like death and things like that to the extent that the luminaries are supposed to provide the like life sustenance but all of a sudden it gets turned off um, for a period of time which is part of why that's ominous so um in line with that since that time of our last forecast um, the number of Palestinians killed has reached more than 11,000 by November 10th, and they've stopped being able to track um, the numbers since that time, and thousands more have died uh, since that point, most of which are reported to be women and children. So Venus went into Libra on November 8th, and Mercury went into Sagittarius on November 10th, which started a long sextile, which we were a little bit hopeful for in our last forecast being associated with like um, diplomatic attempts to broker a ceasefire or broker um, aid or other things in order to offset all of the terrible like death and destruction that was taking place. And what was interesting is, in fact, I did write down that on November 9th, Israel at least agreed to a four-hour humanitarian pause each day. Um, which, although it was not much, it was notable that that started right after Venus went into Libra on November 8th, and then that was announced on November 9th. 
So during the course of the next few weeks, while Mercury and Venus were sextiling each other, there were ongoing talks of doing some sort of hostage swap, which is seem, which seemed to be off and on most of the month. Um, and then eventually, just this past week, a swap and a ceasefire was finally agreed to for a period of time for a period of five days. And that whole process just started yesterday. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, for people's reference, we're broadcasting on day two of that ceasefire. Right, which there's already been a little bit of like interruption of, but hopefully it continues on and hopefully the ceasefire broadens um and, and expands in the future and all of this stops um because the the magnitude of the destruction and the loss of life in gaza has been really shocking and incredibly sad and um you know i was looking up some stats and and some of the stats are being discussed but um at one point i wanted to look up like how many um people how many civilians have been killed in the past two year years of the war in ukraine and it turned out that it was at least the UN was saying that it was around 10,000 that had been confirmed, whereas at least that many have died in Gaza just in the past like month and a half, just to give people an idea of just the sheer magnitude of how many people have been killed. So the this has created a, an enormous humanitarian crisis and the level of carnage is heartbreaking and disgusting, frankly, um, and calls for a ceasefire continue to get louder and more numerous. So um, this whole thing is starting to have a much more far-ranging impact on politics within different countries, as well as uh, geopolitics between different states and countries around the world. Um, it seems like it will undoubtedly influence the 2024 election in the U US, which is one year away from now, especially since the left has become divided over Biden's support of Israel and refusal to call for a ceasefire. So in geopolitics, there's also threats of a larger regional war in the Middle East involving Lebanon and Yemen and, and Iran, um, as well as shifting alliances and involvements between different states in the Middle East, as well as other countries such as Russia and China. So it seems to be putting some pieces into place for some of the things like the U.S. Uranus return that's coming up in 2025 through 2032 as well as the eclipse across America in 2025, just after the next presidential election. So some of the concerns that astrologers have been expressing for years about a broader world conflict that the US could be involved in, um, just like it was the last time that Uranus was in Gemini during World War II, it's sort of putting some pieces into place so that we can almost understand how something like that could be possible, although hopefully in the long term is, is avoidable. Uh, yeah, that's some of what I've been thinking about that. What do you think? Oh, okay. So a couple, a couple I wanted to respond to or add to a couple of points you made. Um, so with the, um, uh, back to um, earlier in November when Venus went into Libra and they began the like brief pauses, not the ceasefire that we're currently in, but the humanitarian pauses. I believe the way that we talked about that last month and I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we were saying that, you know, um, it was at least it was something that it would most likely not bring about peace. Um, but that, you know, even a, a, a good day, even in the middle of a terrible month is still a good day. You still wouldn't trade it for another bad day in a string. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, that did bring about some not even good day, but a, a nice moment or two. Um, but did not like reverse the, um, I don't know, the 
um, ongoing atrocity. Um, and it's also uh, just a sort of as far as what Venus could do and what some of the nice configurations um, um, have been able to do this month. The you know we're currently in the midst of that ceasefire with an exchange of hostages, and that began on uh, Friday, which is a Venus, uh, you know, uh, which was Venus's day. So it was Venus and Libra Friday, while the Moon was in Taurus, which is a Venus world sign with Jupiter. Though that's probably the most, how should we say, the most um, humanitarian or peace loving configuration of the month. Venus's day, the moon in a Venus in Venus's sign exalted with the other benefic. Um, and you and I had both expressed concerns as to whether that could last through the full moon, which is coming up in a few days, which is anything but uh peace loving in its significations. Um, yeah, it's definitely underlined the point that we've learned about just when there's a brief positive, um positive aspect involving benefics when it's going on within the broader scope of a lot of other really difficult aspects that are the more numerous or the more weighty ones that sometimes a brief reprieve in an otherwise bad time can still be something. And I think that's been an interesting lesson from an astrological standpoint, just seeing that work out in a very literal way. And just for us as astrologers to internalize what that looks like to have really bad stuff happening through the overwhelming majority of the sort of astrological weather that's happening, but having um, brief moments of benefic aspects to slightly push back against that temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it's a lesson in, in nuance, right? Cause you can have a terrible day in the middle of a great week or, you know, a great month and you can have a wonderful day in the middle of a total nightmare of a year. Right. And that's still meaningful, um, but just because there's something that looks good, it doesn't mean that that's the that's the the you know that's the entire story arc. And just because something looks bad doesn't mean that that's the entire story arc. Um, you know, you have good nested in bad and bad and good. Yeah, and I guess um, mediocre sprinkled all around. Yeah, and I think that's an important lesson also just even in natal astrology that that's how sometimes to interpret when you have conflicting positive and negative aspects sometimes in your birth chart that that's how things can work out yeah yeah and the um you know and a lot of the timing techniques have a particular um how do we put this they they have a particular time scale and so they they nest relatively uh relatively naturally within each other like we have our our annual perfections which are annual right then we have long things like zodiacal releasing where it's a 20 year arc and you can have you know an awful year in an amazing 20 year arc and vice versa and then months and days inside of that um and then i guess i also just wanted to say a uh, point back to um how fucking just like awful that uh that lunar eclipse was right like um i think you and i and probably a lot of other astrologers um, just sort of looked at each other knowingly when we heard that the uh, the ground assault was going to begin during that. It's like, okay, so so worst case scenario, right? As far as timing goes, like you couldn't pick a more um, uh, a more uh, you know violent and ominous day. Um, and you know, although this, you know, the, <clears throat> I, I almost hesitate <laughs> to add this because it pales in comparison. But you also had um, a, a celebrity death the same day that made a lot of people sad. 
um, Matthew Perry um, passed. It's not on the same scale at all, but just looking at what kinds of things happened at that time. And then I don't want to go into much detail, but there was a very bad death um, in my extended family within a day of that as well, like an ugly death. Um, and so, yeah, just, you know, personal over there, world story stuff, um, you know, uh, really, yeah, really obviously malefic, which, you know, it was because it's not in this, like that one wasn't just an eclipse, right? Because if there were, there are four eclipses a year, if every one of them was that nasty, um, the world, <laughs> the world would have um, run out of steam or the world would have bled out long ago. Um, but that one had that one was configured very tightly, not only to Mars, but Mars in an extremely powerful place, Mars in Scorpio. Um, and as I was um, uh, saying to you earlier, Chris, the in the um, in the school of Vedic astrology that I've um, had some education in, taught by Freedom Cole with um, um, in. Sanjay Roth's tradition, the Mars North Node combination, which that eclipse had, is considered to be an especially potent malefic cocktail. The um the danger with Mars Rahu or Mars and the dragon's head is that you combine the um the confusion and often emotional dysregulation of the dragon's head or Rahu with the capacity uh, for violence and anger of Mars. Right. So not only do you have, you know, potentially lethal force being used, but it being misdirected. It's like the combination, like the, you know, the the polite way to put it is to be not just angry, but angry and confused, lashing out in all directions. Um, yeah. It gave a good um it was a good reminder that the planets configured to the eclipse are really important. And sometimes when you have a really powerful malefic that's right there configured very closely to the eclipse, that that can influence things and can make things lean in a much more negative direction than you know other eclipses that are sometimes more mild or can sometimes uh, coincide with more notably positive momentous events yeah yeah it's not that you know it's hard to it's hard to discuss eclipses i would say one because the nature of eclipses is to not be able to be seen clearly Right. So this is part mm -hmm. of it's not our fault. It's not the astrologer's fault. It's literally a thing um, that is supposed to be confusing. Um, but yeah, the other part of it is that they're not all with the same planets. And the, the first one that comes to mind is having um, a bunch of malefics with it was the December 2019 uh, solar eclipse, which was in the same sign as Saturn and Pluto and the South Node. Right. So you had and Jupiter was there too, getting just wrecked. Um, but that was like three malefics and then poor Jupiter. Um, oh, another thing that um that I think that that eclipse signified that we touched on briefly during the last episode um was uh, uh was the uh, uh the 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 life and works of uh President Joe Biden because he has uh, he has the moon very early in Taurus, and so he's been having eclipses. The the eclipse series in Taurus have been um, uh, coming closer and closer to his natal moon, and this particular eclipse was the closest of all of those. And we'd speculated about uh, physical health because it's in the sixth house, 
and um, he doesn't seem particularly spry, but the the uh, the, the visible damage um, seems to have primarily been to his uh, chances for re-election. Um, he was trending downward in the polls for some time, but the events of the last month seem to have, um, you know, put the put the put the uh, put those prospects. I don't know if squarely in the grave, but um, certainly diminish them significantly. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and that actually leads into the next uh, major eclipse story that happened I wanted to mention, which is um, that in early October, the House of Representatives in the United States fired the Speaker of the House in the middle of a uh, term. And this is the first time in history that this had happened. And it was interesting because if you look back, if you listen back to the forecast we did right before that in September, um, we talked a lot about the US Pluto return and I expressed concern about whether it would um, represent issues related to like the breakdown of the democracy potentially in the long term. Um, but this really seemed to coincide with the final Pluto return of the United States, which was happening in October that we, we've talked about several times on past forecasts. And much of the month, um, the Republicans were unable to agree on a replacement for the Speaker of the House, so the position was vacant for like the first time in history. But then eventually on October 25th, they elected Mike Johnson as new Speaker of the House. Um, and I quickly looked up his birthday, and even though we don't have a birth time, I noticed immediately that he was actually born the very day of a lunar eclipse. And he was then elected just three days before a lunar eclipse would take place on the 28th. So it was just this huge principle that has become super crystallized over the past couple of months of doing the eclipse research that when a person is born on an eclipse, sometimes the most defining events in their life then subsequently will happen on an eclipse in the future. Um, and that principle has become really, really obvious and really strong lately. So um, in the October forecast, I talked about paying attention to the last Pluto return pass. And one of my concerns, like I said, was expressing that it could have co could coincide with a breakdown in the democracy um, and some of the things involved with it. And in fact, once Johnson was elected, a lot of reports um, came out that he had actually played a key role in efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. So um, he's now third in line for the presidency after the president and vice president, and he's going to be, if he stays in that position, in a critical role during the 2024 election. So, you know, since eclipses, as we've said, can indicate important things happening that don't seem important at first, I think that his election on that eclipse could end up being more notable historically than it might seem to us at the present time. Interesting. Yeah, they, um, one of the things I noticed about that was that we had the removal of the speaker um, you know, decapitation uh, right around the the solar eclipse on the south node. That and so you have that like disappearance energy, um, and then you know you have that 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 whole that whole that absence filled during the next eclipse, the uh, the lunar on the north node. Um, one thing, <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, just to reiterate a theme that you know, we've been talking about a lot this year and other years, but. Uh, the another thing that eclipses, you know, are a big part of is the rise and fall of of, of people in positions of power. Um, it's very much like the best um, 
like the best uh the best set of images or metaphors for it is the uh is that uh, the game of thrones spinoff the house of the dragon where it's all rise and fall of rival houses and people um you know people gunning for um <clears throat> not or gunning flying swooping seeking um all of the like machinations um uh, in an attempt to seize the moment you know to seize the throne um and to keep it and what's nice about that show is that it makes the dragons visible and what astrology suggests um and the astrology of eclipses suggests is that the dragons are always involved in big power games like that just like um like you've seen like these rise and falls um, it's just that we can't see the dragons. And so it's nice to have, uh, you know, have a program that makes the invisible, but powerful, uh, visible. Like that's, that's kind of the go-to paradigm though, is the dragons make and break the Kings and Queens. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good metaphor. And cause sometimes when eclipses I've seen, it's like people come into view and prominent people become more prominent and, it, and it, it's almost like a dragon like emerging from the clouds and some suddenly becoming prominent even though they've been there sort of like flying around the entire time yeah dragon emerges from the cave right it, it's been there um but like coiled um, for sure yeah so speaking of that there was one other major eclipse thing um in the previous episode we talked about how the last several taurus scorpio eclipses over the past year or two had been tied in with bitcoin and different scandals and crashes like the luna coin crash which wiped out like billions of dollars in currency um, on a taurus eclipse and then the ftx scandal a year ago in november of 2022 that also uh, coincided with the Taurus eclipse. So we said that we were keeping an eye out for that with the last Taurus eclipse in late October. And at the time when we recorded that forecast, I didn't realize that um, Sam Bankman Freed was on trial and that his trial would end up concluding right after the Taurus eclipse that week, which took place on October 28th. So he was actually the one involved. He was the principal founder and the principal architect behind the FTX scandal one year ago on that eclipse that occurred back then in November of 2022, which is said to be one of the biggest financial frauds in US history. And it was the third largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world so that um, it was a huge hit to Bitcoin value and reliability when that crashed uh, a year ago. And it's interesting that he was actually found guilty on a Taurus eclipse just a year later um, after that whole event happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. There were, um, I guess, uh, there's there there's a fair amount to say about that chart. Um, I would say the first thing I would say is that uh, about his I, chart. I, exper I experienced, yeah, and the 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 recent uh space weather as transits to his chart um so, so you're the one you pointed out to me that we have a birth time for him which i didn't realize so i'll put that chart up now okay great and yeah to my great shame i realized that he was a fellow march 5th i was not born in 1992 um oh, no. but you know you don't see too many birthday twins and then when you do you'd you know you'd like it to be anybody else almost yeah. anybody else that is when one of them is being convicted for like one of the largest financial crimes in history that's not a good that's not a good time to win we'll have to find there's probably a similarly like positive one but like pisces who's out there doing humanitarian work i'm sure 
Yeah. Um, the only one that I know about my actual birthday is, um, God, what's her name? Ricky something. Uh, she's part of, uh, she's part of a, a musical comedy duo, Garfunkel and Oates. I was born on the same oh, nice. day as, as Garfunkel. Nice. I like that. Okay. That's a pretty good one. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's like, that's up there yeah, with Ricky my... Linton. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I hope she's, I hope I, it's hard to remember which one is Garfunkel and Oates because neither one is their name, but anyway, they're funny. Um, I, a... I thought their Netflix series was very underrated. Um, but that's anyway, with my here. like Katy Perry time twin, uh, I'm going to take my mine still better, but that's still pretty good. All right. Sure. Here's the chart. <clears throat> so one of the things you pointed out is he have a, we have a time chart and he was actually born with 27 degrees of Taurus rising, right? As yeah. As far as we know, this is what's on the record. And so, yeah, there's all his, the chart is just lit up. Um, w- one thing I'd like to point out is in addition to, um, so there's the eclipse, right? The eclipse was in his first house, right? Um, and so that that didn't signify good uh, positive things for this person. Um, but the Mars, which was opposite that Mars Sun conjunction, which also uh, happened over this last month, uh, ended up being right on his Pluto and right on his descendant. And mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about um, with the Mars Sun conjunction that I brought up was. Um, when you're doing, uh, when you're calculating parts or lots based on the relationship of planets, the um, uh, the Sun and Mars relationship gives you the lot of punishment. And we talked about uh, was it Nancy Grace having that conjunction, and you know, um, punishment being an important part of her life. And so here as a transit, right, we have the the those two which together uh, uh, generate the lot of punishment right on Pluto, right on the descendant. Um, and then yeah. there are four other things going on, but well, and he he's basically facing he could face a hundred years in prison, um, is is what he's looking at basically. So just to give people an idea of the scope of how that was important for him personally, you know, being Taurus rising and having that eclipse take place in his rising sign right when he was being convicted is like he learned he may be going to jail for like a hundred years around that time on that eclipse. Um, but yeah, uh, this is, this is a tricky chart and, um, you know, obviously it could have gone different ways based on different choices he could have made and things like that, but it's interesting seeing that happen and coincide with those eclipse and just how it's tied in, not just with the broader scope of like Bitcoin and how that was involved in the markets and how it wiped out billions of dollars for, for thousands or hundreds of thousands of different people, but how it also personally was tied in with his own chart. Yeah. And so um, when I was, when I was researching the situation, um, I stumbled across the the time that this sentencing has been set for, which is the end of March, 2024. And what's interesting about that is that there's a Mars Saturn conjunction in Pisces, like I think within a degree of the natal sun in this chart. So literally the Mars uh, conjunction coming for the sect light in the chart is when the, you know, when the actual sentence gets laid down, which is, um, you know, that's a pretty rare transit. Um, And then that's sort of uh, even further, even more interesting because you have an extremely tight Mars Saturn conjunction in the natal chart, right on the midheaven, right? Right. Um, You know, it's... um, 
the and so having a Mars Saturn conjunction on the midheaven doesn't make you a villain necessarily, but if you do, if there's any villainy whatsoever, it will be it's that that is the most public place to have malefic action in the chart. It's um, not surprising that someone who's become a symbol of sort of all the lies and fraud um, associated with uh, crypto, which isn't to say that crypto is all lies and fraud, but there's a lot of, um, uh, as we say, there's a lot of bad reputation. And for somebody who's come to symbolize that, that they have this tight Mars Saturn conjunction right uh, right in that most public of places in their chart. And they will be sentenced for it when there's that same conjunction, which is a few days every two years, right on top of their sun. Yeah, for sure. That's really striking. And just having that Mars-Saturn conjunction in the 10th house of career and having that be the area of greatest difficulty. And now his career has led him into, unfortunately, into jail basically for the rest of his life. It's interesting. I didn't realize until now, but that was the tail end of his Saturn return was all of that falling apart while Saturn was still in late Aquarius last year into the early part of this year. So yeah, I, I looked at that and I just literally I I, I thought of your Saturn return stories episodes right. you like to do. And I was like, Sam, tell us about yours. Yeah, that's a good Saturn return story. I'll have to include that one. I am still soliciting Saturn return stories. We got some really good ones. If you have Saturn in Aquarius and you completed your first or second or third Saturn return, email us your story at the astrologypodcast at gmail.com and we might include it in a future roundup of Saturn return stories. Uh, many of which I, I'm hoping are going to be better than than this one was with Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, all right, so let's move on. There was one other eclipse story I wanted to mention. Um, you already mentioned it briefly earlier, but it was um, that the actor, famous actor who was in the most popular American sitcom of the 1990s, Friends, Matthew Perry, passed away last month, and he ended up, um, he died by drowning in his hot tub at the age of 54, but all the astrologers at the time when this came on the news immediately noticed that this happened the exact day of the lunar eclipse in Taurus was the day that he died. And um, I looked up his birth chart and he was actually born near a lunar eclipse. So he was born near a lunar eclipse and then he died the day of a lunar eclipse. And it goes actually even further than that because a year ago he published his autobiography um, within days of eclipses just a year ago so he was able to like tell his life story on an eclipse and it just became a really striking example again of that principle of that if you're born on an eclipse really important events in your life and even in his case at least um the end of his life coincided with eclipses as well yeah yeah and his uh, um i believe the chart has the moon in early Scorpio, where the sun and Mars were during the lunar eclipse, and then Saturn in Taurus, where the eclipse was. It's like the eclipse was bang on uh, his moon-Saturn opposition, in addition to him being an eclipse nativity. Right, for sure. Um, and even his last like social media post on Instagram was him in, in his hot tub, actually, with the almost full moon over his shoulder, which was kind of ominous looking. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's actually really, it's still up there. It's kind of striking. But I talked about this example a little bit in part two of the eclipses episode I did earlier this month, as well as in the recent episode on on death and astrology and, and to what extent it can speak to death. So 
you know, I'm repeating some things here though, since the audience for the forecast is different sometimes than those other episodes, but you can check that out for more information on some of these stories. So there's one last um, major news story that happened recently, and this was not necessarily eclipse related, but it was tied in with the Sun-Mars conjunction or Kazemi and Scorpio, which went exact on November 17th and 18th. And this is the fiasco that happened where on Friday, November 17th, um, the board of the company OpenAI suddenly fired their CEO and founder, Sam Altman. So it sparked off several days of like high drama in tech circles. And um, I saw one commenter say that this was the closest thing to a boardroom assassination that they'd ever seen, which I thought was really interesting because it was right on that Sun-Mars conjunction in Scorpio. And that was one of the a lot of the keywords we were talking about for that conjunction last month were things like shootings or assassinations or other things like that. And here it was more of a metaphorical one, but nonetheless, it was an attempt by the board to like take this guy out basically. Yeah. Targeted um, elimination. Yeah. And the details are still unclear, but it may have actually had to do with some sort of struggle over AI safety. And there are some tensions in like the AI world about those who want to push AI growth as fast as they can because they think it'll ultimately be good for humanity versus those that want to slow it down because they're concerned about the dangers to humanity. So Altman as CEO may have been one of the people that was pushing for more forward movement more quickly. And there were three or four members of the board reportedly who may have wanted to remove him from the top in order to like slow things down basically. Um, there was also some recent reports saying that a new innovation in AI that the company had developed behind the scenes may have prompted things and may have spooked those board members who then led this like coup to get rid of him. So with Pluto having stationed last month in Capricorn, stationing direct in Capricorn, we're now heading you know, super quickly into Pluto and Aquarius, which is coming back again this January. And it seems like over the past several months that a lot of the AI stuff has been more quiet, as we said in the past forecast a month ago, I think we made this exact comment that it seems like AI news has kind of slowed down or been more quiet over the past several months um, when, once Pluto returned to Capricorn this summer. But I suspect that it's going to come back in full force again once Pluto goes back into Aquarius early next year just like it did earlier this year when Pluto went into Aquarius um, in, in March. And then after 2024, Pluto is going to be in Aquarius for good for the next two decades. So that seems pretty huge. And yeah. Um, yes. Were, were and you... think things are being kind of rearranged in preparation for that. Um, Pluto's re-entry in, into, into Aquarius in what, about a little bit less than two months. Um, and so for those of you who weren't watching this, um, it, Pluto did a little, a uh, little sizzle reel, little like test drive in Aquarius for basically the second quarter of 2023, um, and then went back into Capricorn where it's been since 2008. Um, and so that basically times the entire freak out, um, slash discourse, uh, about, AI like that was that was that and then Pluto left and it was like that just kind of got quiet um but that was not that was not an anomaly that was that was a preview and so once Pluto goes back into Aquarius in January it has one more dip back into Capricorn but it's for like 
two months in was it uh, the in the in the the fall of 2024 but that's the anomaly it's just one 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 last little dip backwards and then other than that it's pluto and aquarius until the 2040s yeah so it's coming in fast and i forgot to mention like why this story is important is because OpenAI is the company that created ChatGPT that launched a year ago, and it became for a time like the fastest, um, most number of signups for an app or like a website in history. And that was the thing that set off the whole AI craze. And this guy, Sam Altman, was at the head of that, at the head of that company a year ago that launched this, that started everything and started the AI race over the course between different companies like Google. Uh, Microsoft and and this company over the past year. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, they tried to remove him from the board, but then over the course of a few days, um, the board ended up getting fired and he was brought back as CEO is currently where it stands. So it was like an attempted removal or assassination that didn't work. Um, ultimately, interestingly, we don't have his birth time but he actually has Saturn at 26 degrees of Scorpio in his birth chart on that day opposite to Mars at 27 degrees of Taurus. And of course, oh. 26 Scorpio is like right around where that Sun-Mars conjunction took place when this happened. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he was born either the day after or two days after a solar eclipse in Taurus. Hmm. Right. Right. Like there, there's, there's the North Node in Taurus. He just got done with his nodal return. Yeah. So like he's he was born in this eclipse cycle that we just finished. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why it's like even though it doesn't seem like this this happened, you know, weeks after the eclipse, you know, it's still a few weeks after the eclipse, and Taurus and Scorpio seem to be occupying important positions in his chart, even though we don't know the birth time. So um yeah, those eclipses seem very relevant to him for that reason. So it may have still been tied in with the eclipses, even though the trigger was the Mars Kazemi. Yeah, well, and, and uh, as you, you know, a, a corporate assassination or was a boardroom assassination, like that was probably not planned a day and a half ahead of time. That was probably in the works for a couple weeks, mm. right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so that's that AI stuff. We're going to be talking about a lot next year, I'm sure, when Pluto comes back into Aquarius and. I think just to round out the news section, you know, it's really clear that we're living in historic times at this point, and in some instances, really dark times. Um, but we're going to continue to do our best to both document the present and what's happened in the immediate present and past, as well as predict the future, as we always do on these forecast episodes um, each month and in our yearly forecasts. So maybe on that note, it's a good time to transition into talking about the forecast for December. Yeah, I think so. And uh, let me just say that I wish that you could, you could say living in historic times and have that mean anything positive. Um, <laughs> I mean, when is that? Uh, that that uh, that almost never means something good for the people living in it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I one... guess I guess there are a few instances. It's just been a long time since that meant anything good. I guess the end of the Cold War was a historic moment. These days, is, though, that it doesn't seem to indicate anything particularly good. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we really saw in the eclipses episode, both in part one, but especially in part two, um, was eclipses often tend to be this pivot point in history where things pivot towards good or pivot towards bad. But usually, 
you reach either a high point or a low point at the time of the eclipse. Um, so it's like in Russia, you know, 1991, the fall of the Soviet Union and the founding of the current Russian state was on an eclipse. But then it's like Putin came to power in 1999 right on an eclipse. Or in other instances, there were definitely negative things like in the history of South Africa and with Nelson Mandela and his mm -hmm. fighting against like apartheid in South Africa, he kept getting arrested and going to jail and was sentenced to life in prison on eclipses. But then there was a pivot point eventually, and he was released from prison on an eclipse and then eventually became president of South Africa on an eclipse. So, you know, sometimes they do coincide with the darkest, some of our darkest moments, eclipses, but sometimes out of those darkest moments, it lays the seeds for more positive things that will grow eventually over time. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all dragon roller coaster, but there are high and low points. But yeah, I guess all of history, uh, not everything historical is a nightmare. Um, it just, uh, you know, I've been, it's been kind of a negative month. So I, I admit that my my thoughts have been pushed in that direction. Yeah, for sure. Me too. And I've been not sleeping, so I'm kind of out of it. Uh, I haven't been sleeping for more than a few hours a night for like a month now for some reason I don't understand. So I'm not as eloquent today, and I meant to mention that, um, as well as just being you know, obsessively watching the news and what's happening in Palestine and everything for the past month has really affected me. Um, I'm sure you know it's affected a lot of people. But hopefully through some of these forecast episodes, we can still give people some different perspective on on things and what's going on and some insight into some of the different sort of energies surrounding some of these major events. And I think in doing that, it can be helpful as we we go through some of these times. Yeah, I mean, arguably, it's more important to understand your environment when it's not um, when it's potentially hostile, you know, um, if you're walking around a padded room, you don't need to worry about bumping into things when there's sharp stuff um, lying around. You know, when somebody spilled some some tacks or nails or a, a glass got dropped, you need to, it's much more important to be aware of your environment when it's not all friendly. For sure. Yeah. All right, my friend, I think that's good for the news section. Um, I want to transition into the forecast, um, but first I want to give a shout out to our sponsor this month, which is the amazing Chani app, um, which is an astrology app that is available for both iPhone and Android by our mutual friend Chani Nicholas. Um, so the Chani app is an app available, as I said, for iPhone and Android, and it's designed to make astrology both accessible and useful. The app combines both ancient astrological wisdom with meditation and mindfulness to help you foster your relationship with the sky and support personal growth. From personalized readings to real-time updates on how the current astrology is affecting you, it features everything you need to navigate life's ups and downs. This includes detailed birth chart breakdowns, daily horoscopes, current sky horoscopes, transit readings, intel on the current moon phase and sign, weekly sign-specific audio readings by Chani Nicholas, year-ahead forecasts, and more. So for me, the four things that I've really enjoyed about it as I've been using the app personally on my phone is, one, it has a really nice blend of modern and traditional astrology because um, Chani comes from the same sort of approach or came up with a very similar approach as you and I did, Austin, 
of starting with modern and then integrating traditional. So it has a blend that's very familiar if people listen to the, the forecast and the kind of blend of astrology that we use here. Um, it also uses whole sign houses, and that's one of the things that makes the app unique compared to some of the other apps that often default to other house systems. Um, three, it sends you push notifications when a transit is going exact in the sky, which is one of my favorite features um, because sometimes I'll be like doing something and I'll be why I'll be saying like why is everything so annoying right now or why am I feeling like irritated, and then the app will like sort of bing and tell you that like Mars is conjoining the moon right now or something like that. And you'll be like, oh, okay, right. It'll like remind you about that transit. Um, and then four, I love that it's now available on Android. They finally released an Android version a few months ago. So the Chenny app is available to download on both iOS and Android. Just search Chenny, C-H-A-N-I in the app store and you'll find it. Or you can go to app.chenny.com for more information. All right, what do we make a transition into talking about the astrological forecast for December? Um, I want to start by showing just very briefly again the planetary alignments calendar to show you some of the transits we're going to be talking about over the next hour. Um, so here are the transits for December. Um, we're going to start, we need to start with a couple of things. Let me put up the chart for those watching the video version of where we're at now, because as we're recording this today on the 25th, the Mars Saturn conjunction has just recently gone exact over the past 24 hours. And that's that Mars Saturn square um, is part of the energy that we're coming into the month still with by the time we go to December 1st. Um, and additionally, we noted that Mercury changes signs on December 1st, and that's our very first transit of the month technically. Um, but one of the things that's important to note is that Mercury entered its shadow already um, just a day ago, I believe, on like November 24th or something like that, because it's going to retrograde back to 22-ish degrees of Sagittarius. So one of the things in the first part of the month is we're building up to a Mercury retrograde, and Mercury's already crossing ground that it's going to return to um, because it's going to come back to late Sagittarius. So those are some of the things. One of the things that's interesting about that, thinking about the Mars-Saturn square that's been weird, is usually we talk about that in terms of, you know, Mars represents motion and forward movement, whereas Saturn represents things grinding to a halt. And sometimes when those two energies align, you get everything grinding to a halt. And sometimes that can be bad because you get the image of, for example, like a car crash where you have a car that's moving really fast and then it's just suddenly and violently grounds to a halt all at once. Um, but other times, like back in 2020, remember we had the Mars-Saturn conjunction and everything ground to a halt with the, the lockdowns when COVID was hitting and when all the governments like enforced lockdowns in, all over the world and everybody had to like stop what they were doing. It's been an interesting manifestation that over the past few days of this Mars-Saturn conjunction, one of the things that ground to a halt was, um, you know, the ceasefire that's happening in um, Palestine right now in Gaza, and everything sort of grinding to a halt there. But for more of a, in a positive way, you know, even though it's very temporary. And I thought that was kind of interesting and surprising. Yeah, that is interesting. It's hard to disentangle that from uh, the Mars-Saturn conjunction, or excuse me, Mars-Saturn square occurring at the same time as a really beautiful moon Jupiter 
and with uh, the Venus and Libra. Like we have, there's a bunch of benefic stuff and the Mars Saturn. Um, so that that that's yeah that that's uh, I I don't I don't I don't I don't think we can disentangle that for the last couple of days. That was probably a result of both. Right, because that Mars Mars Saturn configurations like that squares can also be um, also be situations where uh, where uh, we feel trapped between the thing going fast and the um, and the wall that it's about to hit. Right, if you're between those two, that's the worst possible place, and so that's another uh, another facet of Mars Saturn dynamics. But yeah, I'll yeah. take this version. This version's good. Yeah, it was just interesting to be reminded that even though there's other a lot of other contributing factors, including the Mercury-Venus sextile, like you said, um, that there can sometimes be positive manifestations. Obviously, people like, you know, even yourself that has a Mars-Saturn opposition find constructive ways sometimes to manage th that energies or to express that energy in, in constructive ways. Um, but you know, there is also difficult or challenging. Obviously, usually it's associated as a more challenging aspect. And that's some of the energy that's going to be lingering for a, a decent part, especially of the first half of this month, while Mars and Saturn are still very close, um, both in mutable signs. And it's really putting the tension on the mutable signs this month with Mars moving through Sagittarius and Saturn still still moving through early Pisces. Yeah. Um uh in reference to the the like potentially constructive facets of Mar of hard Mars Saturn aspects, um, I tend to think of those as much. I should say it's much easier to get to the the positive potentials if it's a natal configuration because you have years and years to figure it out. Um, and if you look at Hellenistic delineations like Valens and Firmicus de delineations, they're like, oh yeah, this Mars Saturn person will have these sort of like what do they call reversals of fortune and frustrations and this and that but will eventually be a person who's got um uh who has um what's the word um like temperate judgment the the principle of excessive action and the principle of excessive stasis um canceling each other out and teaching each other and moderating each other over time right it's like eventually they get to have you know they they, they become people of uh grim but uh but having good judgment because those two are like mars tries to get saturn to move and and saturn um tries to get mars to slow the fuck down and so eventually you get a good result um i find that the when it just happens by transit it's often harder to navigate unless you've been living the the mars saturn life but yeah they're like the uh, a number of uh, traditional sources say like basically frame the positive potential as being well the two can cancel each other out in a useful way but it's not fun or easy yeah for sure um so some of the other i wanted to give some keywords for things people might be feeling with that especially early in the month of december uh while that that configuration is still close so there's um, keywords like a conflict between action versus restricting or restriction. So feeling hold, held back from something, even though you want to act or move forward, feeling um, frustration and obstacles is a very common feeling around Mars-Saturn alignments, especially hard aspects. 
there can be um, feelings of like delayed gratification, like so not getting something immediately what you want, which is more of a Mars thing, but instead um, being forced to put it off and do a lot of hard work in order to get where you want to go and things taking longer than you'd like. Um, having a good work ethic and perseverance is like one of the good things that you can do to sort of like channel that energy. Um, sometimes there can also be like fears and insecurities, which is a pretty common thing surrounding Saturn, and that can hinder Mars's um, tendency to want to take decisive action. So having fears about how things will go or insecurities can be something that will hold you back um, from acting during this time. And you know, since this is happening in mutable signs, mutable signs tend to be very adaptable and very flexible typically. Um, so somehow that's part of the energy as well that's being integrated into the square. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I would just uh, maybe add a few things. One common experience with Mars-Saturn configurations like this is just frustration, which is the like, oh, I want to do it, but I can't do that right now. Um, or I have to do this and I really don't want to. Um, and yeah, the, the, what did, what did you say? Um, uh, like delayed gratification is that delayed gratification, uh, perseverance. I think you said, um, perseverance, I would say also like there's a, a certain Mars Saturn gear that's being, becoming relentless where you just, you just keep coming like the unkillable villain, um, you know, in the horror movie, right. Where you're not fast, but you're, <laughs> you're like, like Jason in Friday, the 13th, just like one step at a time, still coming for those campers, um, <clears throat> you know, where you can be slowed down, um, you know, you, yeah, you can be slowed down, but not stopped. Um, right. Which is, it's a kind of invincibility that doesn't feel invincible at all. Right. But yeah. becoming relentless. I like that. That's a good picture of like the Terminator at the end of like Terminator mm -hmm. one. And he just like keeps coming. Yeah. Um, and like face all half ripped off, but like still coming. Right. Not pretty, not fast, not graceful, but still coming. I mean, less horror movie motivated, but you know, I have Mars Saturn very prominent in my chart and a mutual reception. Mm -hmm. And some of that's my Capricorn Mars, but I always have had the ethic of like trying to when I do videos or something on YouTube or the podcast to improve just like one thing each time. And even though it doesn't seem like a big jump forward, um, if you just do that one thing, it adds up over time. And I sometimes think of that when it comes to constructive uses of Mars and Saturn. And that's kind of similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. The um, It's not, yeah, it's, it's that, that sort of glacial creep, right? It's on, it's, sort of accomplishes um martial goals but on saturn's time scale which is invisible in the moment but when you look back over a year or five years is tremendous yeah for sure so um speaking of that some of that energy really gets magnified um with mercury moving into capricorn right away on the first and then immediately after that um on the on the second especially december 2nd mercury sextiles saturn and so while that's not a major standout aspect, it just emphasizes some of those themes that we're talking about here in terms of um, the energy of Saturn and like forward progressive movement at a, at a somewhat slow pace. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, the month begins with Mercury's ingress into Capricorn. And even though it's destined to go back, um, you know, that, that Mercury and Capricorn quality is... 
um, it's very much looking at the lay of the land, like looking at the blueprint of the building. Um, you know, it's um, it's slow, right? It's Mercury in a Saturn ruled sign and Mercury is literally slowing down as it enters. Um, and so instead of like racing about to explore everything, you know, you could see it as analogous to like entering, entering a complex, like, a, I don't know, an abandoned shopping mall um, and, and first trying to find the, uh, like the big layout, right? Like, where is the, where's the Bloomingdale's? Where's the, where's the Radio Shack? Um, and of course they're all full of zombies, um, but, you know, like getting the lay of the land and like, what is the. Like what is what is what is the what is the layout here? What is the structure? Um, and that that also uh, that that same sort of um, blueprint thinking that Mercury and Capricorn brings also applies to schedule, right? So not just spatially but also temporally. Like okay, so next week I have to do I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then the week after that, then then there's that, and then the week after that, like it's it's very much that that getting the getting the layout both in time and space. Um, and there's something about that that's causing Mercury to slow down and maybe maybe need to um, you know rethink uh, rethink how how we're going to get through this next bit because the way directly forward is blocked. There's something that necessitates a turnaround. Yeah, and what's interesting is like it got out of Sagittarius and out of the conjunctions with Mars as it's in Capricorn, and it's applying to um, this trine with Jupiter, which will be going exact and will be pretty close because Jupiter is at six degrees of Taurus um, around the time of Mercury stationing. Once Mercury slows down and stations retrograde around the middle of the month, um, so the first half of the month, at least in terms of Mercury's configurations are much better, especially around the time of its retrograde station where it's getting aspects from both uh, the trine with Jupiter, but also a sextile from Venus once it goes into Scorpio. Um, and we're going to get a lot more of the more positive manifestations of Mercury and Capricorn during that time, like you know practical communication, strategic thinking, having structured thoughts. Um, maybe a more reserved communication style, but reserved and like earnest and um, effective in moving slowly in those increments, um, incorporating discipline into it. And that's going to be distinctly different than the second half of the month when um, Mercury retrogrades back into Sagittarius. It's going to form this conjunction with Mars, and we're going to get this weird period late in the month where Mercury's retrograde getting ready to station direct, but conjoining Mars at the same time around 24 degrees of Sagittarius. Um, so some of the sort of verbal arguments, the explosive energy um, related to especially communications, but also technology, some of the divisive feeling surrounding communication that we were feeling in October and early November when Mercury was still conjunct Mars, a lot of that's somehow going to come back during the course of the retrograde, especially later in December. So as a result of that, I'm looking forward to the more positive, like peaceful time communication-wise towards the early part of the month when Mercury's at least configured to um, benefics, despite otherwise getting ready to turn retrograde and start to look backwards and be more reflective rather than forward-looking. Yeah, I think the word constructive is especially useful for this first phase of Mercury and Capricorn, because it is trying to like build up, uh, build up a model of 
where things are and how to navigate them. Um, and there's such a difference in quality to that, like careful mapping and sequencing that um, that Mercury and Capricorn is doing with the aspects it has to the retrograding into Sag portion, which is Mercury Sagittarius is um, by itself a much more much more kinetic movement oriented sign than Capricorn. And not only that, but it'll be Mercury back in Sag with Mars, right? Which is the planet of combustion and dynamism and go, go, go. Uh, and so there's, there's, it's uh, like the, the quality of it is very like careful, careful, like circumspect modeling and thinking and weighing and mapping. And then there's this, this sort of like, it, but it, it comes back to this, like, um, fuck it, we've just got to go. Or like this, this, this just needs to happen or we need to do this. There's something, um, there's the the quality of the Mercury Mars is uh, Mercury Mars and Sagittarius is uh, distinctly uncareful as opposed to like very careful um, Mercury and Cap. Yeah, that's a good point. Like re recklessness, like there's yeah, a yeah, reckless. recklessness. Yeah. Well, and I, I think there's something about uh, like that third decan of Capricorn, or excuse me, that third decan of Sagittarius. Um, uh, has in uh, in some sources uh, is associated directly with the Greek goddess of Ananke, who is necessity. And a lot of times, you know, people who have planets in the third deck kind of, of Sagittarius, there's just like circumstances where X has to be done. It's not it's not the ideal thing. It's not the way if you could have planned it, you wouldn't have planned that. But like, that's just what needs to be done. Um, and that sort of that push towards necessity is, uh, you know, echoed strongly by um, Mars being there. It's like, well, this is just um, like we got to get out. They're going to nuke, you know, the like something's going to happen. We need to act now. Yeah, for sure. So that's going to be weird because it's going to be tied in with the retrograde. Where usually the first part of the retrograde is like things slow down and you start having to look backwards. You have to start going back and revising something in the past because often there's mistakes, but it's a weird dynamic that the first part of the retrograde here is going to be yeah. more positive uh, somehow than the direct part of the retrograde when Mercury is finally moving forward um, and you have the more divisive part of it being the end of the retrograde, which is usually the part where we're, we're finding resolution to the issues that were brought up at the beginning of the retrograde or where things start moving forward again and start progressing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like the, the, the lead, the first part in the lead up is more, it's almost like the careful looking back. Whereas once we get into the Sag portion, it's almost like there's this um, like thoughtful, constructive process that has this, um, like chaotic two or three week chaotic interruption in the middle of it where it's like actually back to these other things this needs to happen right now we'll get back to the like the careful architectural stuff but um mercury mars sag got to move got to deal with this over here right because it's not only because it's moving back to a different sign it means that it brings mercury's attention back to whatever is happening in that other whole sign house Right. So if it was, you know, you were worried you were doing Capricorn stuff in the second house, it comes back to Sag and the first and, oh, we've got to do this because of completely unrelated things. Right. For sure. So, um, yeah, first part of the month, at least in terms of Mercury and communication, like much more um, 
negotiating, much more like peace oriented, much more um, about trying to work things out. Because the other thing we have to talk about is um, Venus's ingress, which happens very early in the month. And that's contributing to some of the positive um, aspects involving Mercury, where we see Venus departing from Libra and moving into the sign of Scorpio by December 3rd and December 4th. Um, and at that point, because Mercury starts slowing down, Venus actually catches up to Mercury and overtakes Mercury in a sextile around December 10th and December 11th, um, which is a pretty positive aspect that's taking place. It's one of the aspects that we we're talking about last month that seemed to have to do with things like negotiations and like trying to reach a deal or reach a resolution of something and having um, pleasant forms of reconciling communication. And all of this is is sort of going exact where Venus is like helping out an already positive aspect between Mercury and Jupiter um, as Mercury's slowing down and getting ready to station retrograde on December 12th and 13th. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Venus is in Venus is in Scorpio for a lot of the month. What is it? Does it go in on the fourth, did you say? Yeah, it's like depending on your time zone, it's basically December fourth, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Venus and Venus, uh, Venus is not thought to have the best time in Scorpio, but um, this year, <clears throat> this year being in Scorpio, Venus, um, uh, Venus looks across at Jupiter and <clears throat> having both Venus and Jupiter configured like that. Um, it's the two benefics and it's Jupiter in Venus's sign. And so this will be, this is an unusually good year for Venus's time in Scorpio, right? Um, and it's also Venus is not, um, uh, Venus is not configured to Mars. Um, you know, the, Venus has wonderful essential dignity in Libra, but the South node was there and there's a square with Pluto. Um, and so the Venus in Scorpio, other than the the quick trine to Saturn and Pisces, is actually pretty nice this year. And so we'll, you'll see some of the like um, some of some of the more more positive or some of the more positive, pleasant um, <clears throat> versions of Venus in Scorpio, you know, goth delight. Um, yeah, for and, sure. Yeah. And as you're saying, like and those they're they're both configured to Mercury during this first phase. Um, unfortunately, um, even at this period where we have kind of the height of uh, positive of, of Mercury having a relationship with two benefics, it's leading into the new moon, which is conjunct Mars. And we were talking about this earlier. Um, whenever when we see, um, you know, we talked last month about the Mars Kazemi, like the moment when Mars and the Sun are in the you know line in the same degree but or the same minute of the same degree um but because of the relative speed of the sun and mars uh, from our position whenever you see that there are like there it means there's like months of mars and the sun very close together and so that means uh, multiple new moons that are conjunct mars it means multiple full moons that are opposite mars and so we have another uh yet another new moon conjunct mars uh here what is it 11th 12th yeah and let me before we get there let me just state okay. briefly that um you know the venus jupiter conjunct or venus jupiter opposition is going exact around december 9th and december 10th and that's 
one of the more positive aspects between Venus and Jupiter before we get to that new moon. So I just wanted to make sure we state some of those dates mm -hmm. um, to point out when the good stuff is happening so that we can sort of offset a little bit of the, the more challenging or difficult stuff we're talking about. Uh, while the Mercury-Jupiter trine, which is very positive for communication, is going exact on the 7th and 8th. All right, so those aspects mentioned, um, yeah, here's the new moon, which is going to go exact at 20 degrees of Sagittarius on December 12th, and it's present in a conjunction with Mars, which is at 13 degrees of Sagittarius. So we have that, and then we also have the new moon taking place in a pretty close square with Neptune, which is adding some nebulousness to the picture at that time in terms of um, making things not very clear. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that, and so that yeah, that follows. You know what? We're we're where things were kind of getting a little easier. There are some nice things happening with that Jupiter Venus Mercury, um, but we're we're recentered um with a new moon and yes mars is still there and things will mercury stations retrograde just right after that so there's there's really a kind of a pivot point there around the the, the 12th 13th 11th 12th 13th yeah and and jessica patron in the chat pointed out that neptune station direct on december 6th so it's like that neptune's getting amped up and amplified at this time with its nebulousness as well um, it makes me think of that Mercury stationing as almost like there's something good that's happening where it seems like there's going to be a positive brokering between Mercury, the planet of communications, and like the go-between planet and the benefics, but then Mercury goes retrograde and it's like something goes awry. Um, sometimes that's due to like miscommunication as a commonly Mer common Mercury retrograde thing. We also get that a little bit from the sun and moon conjunction being square Neptune, like the idea that there's a misunderstanding or a miscommunication that leads to Mercury then going retrograde and, and going back to that period of conjoining Mars where there's more tension and more verbal confrontations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have more misalignment or non-alignment of parties involved. Yeah. So um, your point was really good, though, that anytime there's a Sun, Mars, Kazemi, that just means that all lunations for a period of time are going to be having that heavy Mars component. I think that's a really great, um, great point. It's a very simple point, but it's a very great observation to kind of um, make sense of some of the stuff that's going on right now. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just, well, it's Mars again, right? Like we have our our full moon here in a few days from now, and it'll be opposite Mars. And then the next new moon is with Mars. And so you get that going in and coming out. It's sort of like almost a, a quarter of a year where everything's very, where all the lunations are martial. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So we've got that. We've got, as we said, Neptune, um, stationing there on the sixth of the month mercury stationing retrograde the very day after our new moon in sagittarius on the 12th and then mercury stationing retrograde on the 13th um let's take a look at where we start heading after that point 
All right, so moving the chart forward. Oh yeah, that was a, a weird thing I noticed is like right when Mercury's stationing the moon, the day after the new moon, the moon swoops into Capricorn and conjoins Mercury. And I actually noticed that happening a few times during the course of this month that some of the, the most important um, alignments that are happening this month, the moon comes in and like triggers them. So that kind of happened earlier in the month when Venus is opposing Jupiter uh, around the ninth, the moon goes into Scorpio and conjoins Venus at the same time. Then we get a similar thing here with Mercury stationing retrograde in Capricorn around the 13th, and the moon comes in and, and triggers that and really emphasizes the retrograde beginning at that time. Um, it's kind of an interesting point to pay attention to. All right, so what's our next major aspect looking like that we need to talk about after that? Do we end up well, jumping forward to the next week? Yeah, I mean, because once we get the new moon re reset on the 12th and then Mercury's retrograde on the 13th, that's sort of the course things are taking for a little bit, right? Like that that's a that's a pretty significant readjustment. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, that takes us <clears throat> like uh, we basically need to get a week and a half later uh, here uh, towards uh, December 22nd, where you have us, um, where uh, we get the Mercury-Sun conjunction, the Kazemi, like dead center, the retrograde, first degree of Capricorn, and right before Mercury heads back into Sag. And uh, yeah, I think that's our next pivot point. Yeah. So right here on December 22nd, we get the Sun-Mercury conjunction or the Mercury-Kazemi, which takes place at zero degrees of Sagittarius. And this is the halfway point in the Mercury retrograde cycle. So this is usually typically the turning point where whatever the problem was that was set up uh, a week and a half earlier when Mercury stationed retrograde, you usually start to see it start to become resolved at this point, or at least heading towards uh, resolution and having that turning point where resolution starts to seem possible. This is that turning point on December 22nd. Um, but what's weird about it is then the day after Mercury retrogrades back into Sagittarius, and then all of a sudden you, you very quickly start having this impending Mercury-Mars conjunction that's coming up. Um, which is that explosive and more divisive energy that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, the moon is conjoining Jupiter at least around the time of that Kazemi. So there's almost like a positive looking things yeah. look sort of positive on the surface for a day or two. Well, that that day is nice. We should uh, we should figure out something to do on that day, Chris. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that is the day that we picked for recording our year ahead forecast. <laughs> but yeah, the um, like, uh, yeah, but the uh, the yeah thing, uh, I, you know, part of the point I, I heard you making is usually once you get to the Sun Mercury conjunction, the middle of a Mercury retrograde, um, you're sort of heading out of the woods, right? You're in the dead center right. of the woods, so any direction you go, you're now heading out. Um, but there's um, the monster instead of being at the center of the labyrinth. Um, is waiting on the other side when Mercury is about to clear the labyrinth, right? And so, you know, and we'll, we'll, just to characterize that midpoint of the the uh, the Mercury retrograde with the, the Sun, I would say, you know, resolution. A lot of times, at least at that point, the trouble or the the trouble is very clear. You're like, oh, this is the problem. Um, I didn't get that package, and I've located it. It was sent to. 
you know, uh, a cabin in rural Ontario rather than where I live in Ontario, Ohio, you know, Ontario, Canada, within where within where I live in Ontario, Ohio, and Bob, you know, like you know what the problem is um, during that, and so there'll still be there'll there'll probably still be some clarity about what what's not why why we can't why the the map or the sequence whatever the mercury in cap thing was this like beautiful model um why that's not going to work and mercury needs to run back and conjoin conjoin mars it's like oh well it wasn't updated because of x y or z or you know something something is something has happened which changes the layout and we just need to move um yeah well it's like sometimes when you look back into the past it can dig up old things and it doesn't resolve things, but instead it just digs up a bunch of bad stuff, which then you have to deal with. Or sometimes going back into the past and digging things up can cause controversies or conflicts that are unexpected and, and raise like emotions or or old dynamics that maybe you wish that you hadn't, you know, gone back to or brought up again. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe, yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you um you you dig up the hatchet that was once buried and then you realize that there's a reason it was buried um you're like oh we need to put this back in the ground <laughs> um but uh and also just thinking of mercury retrograde printers right sometimes like you do like, like you would do all of this diagnostic work to figure out why the thing isn't fucking working and then when you get to the heart of it and you have a um, uh, an, an accurately identified assessment of why there's a problem, you realize that you're actually going to just need a whole new thing, right? right. Like, I did all this diagnostic work and instead of that fixing it, it actually just put a nail in the coffin, right? Like that this will definitely not work and you got to junk it. Yeah. So sometimes you need end up having to throw the entire thing away and just start fresh, but you may not know until very late in that process. Right. It takes a lot of investigation and problem solving to get to the point where you realize the problem, that problem can't be solved. And so there, there's something like this, right? Where it's like, oh, and this isn't even going to fix it. We need to go back to a, a whole different modality. Yeah. Well, people are going to be right in the thick of that around the time of our second lunation of the month, which is the full moon in Cancer that takes place on December 26th where we see the moon opposing the sun around four and five degrees of, of cancer um, on that day. And what's interesting is like the Mercury-Mars conjunction is super close at that point, uh, with Mercury being at 25 degrees of Sagittarius and Mars being at 23 degrees of Sagittarius, so that that's really one of the signatures for this lunation. And usually, you know, full moons are already a period of like heightened emotions and heightened energy and activity um, and things sometimes being somewhat tense or re reaching a culmination or a boiling point. Um, and then we're adding on top of that, that um, tense energy communication wise between Mercury and Mars at the same time. This one is such a, a, a deeply mixed bag because just the sun and the moon um, are perfectly aligned with Jupiter. It's, um, you know, it's the moon, uh, moon in Cancer, which is the home and domicile. Like the sun, sun, moon, and Jupiter look so wholesome um, and, you know, and joyful and bountiful. It's, you know, it's very, it's very Christmas, right? It's very like postcard Christmas, but that Mercury, Mars are so hot and contentious. 
Um, and if we do, if we think about um, Antitia, right, if we do a little Antitia, Contra Antitia, that Mercury Mars maps right onto both the sun and the moon, right? This like wholesome, <laughs> uh, yeah, like wholesome, supportive, uh, jolly, safe sun, moon, Jupiter with this like really pointed, um, you know, arrow firing Mercury Mars uh, all at the same time. Yeah. So, and, and that full moon's in Cancer and it's sextiling Jupiter and Taurus. Um, one of the things we talked about with Cancer and Taurus a lot last year is how they're sometimes associated with like food and like food that's mm -hmm. reassuring and stabilizing or that reminds you of like old memories or things like that. So, it's kind of a funny combination where you've got on the one hand, it's almost like people going home for the holidays and experiencing the joy and familiarity <laughs> of that which feels that which from their past feels like supportive and feels nurturing on some level um, with the full moon being sextile Jupiter, but then at the same time um, getting into verbal clashes at the same time with people. It's like people maybe discussing politics at Christmas and like getting into fights or something like that. Yeah. That Mercury Mars is so sharp, right? Yeah. But it, it is, it's like, um, it's like comfort food. It's like a country style breakfast and poison tip arrows. Um, right. it, it's an odd, com it's an odd combination. Yeah. Um, I like that. That's pretty good. Um, which, so which I don't know. I think sounds good. I, um, as long as I'm not being, um, porcupine with those arrows, somebody wants to, uh, Kate, you know, if, if you're thinking about what to get me for Christmas, um, both a country breakfast and poison tip arrows would be all right. Yeah, like a blow dart gun uh, is <laughs> what I'm imagining. Um, all right, well, that's pretty good. Um, there's also a kind of nice, it's not standout, but it's also a Venus uh, Neptune trine that's happening at mm -hmm. the same time, which is kind of like dreamy and kind of imaginative or creative that's happening at the same time such a contradictory set of like different aspects they're all aligning on the same few day period yeah it's gonna hit um different people really differently you know depending on how charts are configured you know if you're if your chart is aligned with the sun moon jupiter it'll be like oh that was that was so nice right it's just all country breakfast whereas um you know if you have late mutable stuff you're gonna remember the you know the poison darts like ooh, that was you know that was tense that was uh that was sharp um yeah very and then yeah and then that venus venus neptune is really especially in a trine um is really i would associate uh, that with like the most pleasant version of escapism right being able to just lose yourself in a good book in a blah 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 whatever it is yeah, for yeah, sure. Very different depending on where you are um, with uh, with this end, these end of December charts. Um, and I forgot to mention that it's like it's not just Mercury conjoining Mars, but they're both squaring Neptune at the same time. Um, and Mercury Neptune has this mm -hmm. really classic, um, not just miscommunication, but like false communication signature of um, something that's being done. Uh, almost like deceitfully sometimes is is a typical manifestation whereas mars square neptune has this sense of like taking action and sometimes taking bold or aggressive action but based on a false idea of what what's happening in reality and those are really difficult um, energies to try and reconcile that's going to lead to 
probably some some arguments or some clashes that are based on false premises where one or both sides um, doesn't actually have a clear idea of what's going on, even though they think that they do. Yeah, yeah, and the the like the uh, the mixture of um, hostility and misunderstanding, right? Like, um, I don't know, like the, you know, like the you get the like somebody whispering in your ear, like you know, you see those clouds up in the sky? They were talking shit about you, right? Yeah, right. Um, and then you know you start uh, looking up at the clouds um, with paranoia and hostility. Right, for sure. Um, paranoia and hostility, that's a good one based on uh, a mistaken assumption or based on seeing something that you thought was real, but it not necessarily being. So like misinformation that leads to a provocation could be like a good way to string that together in a sentence. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's those half understandings that are that are the worst. Right. Like where you hear something that was said, but it's out of context. So you think they meant that, but really, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's worth noting that um, that Mercury Mars conjunction, because it's uh, because of its uh, position relative to the sun, that's going to start every day um, that those are both going to Mercury and Mars are going to be visible. They're going to be a, not not super bright um but right before dawn every day you're going to see mercury and mars rise together um at the end of december and it's also worth noting that uh, this is uh this is the second in a series of mercury mars conjunctions we're getting the first one was right around the eclipse and that was in scorpio um this one here at the end of december is at the end of Sagittarius. And then um, several weeks later in January, we're going to get a third Mercury-Mars conjunction in Capricorn. Okay. What day again or when? Oh, let's see. Like middle of January, middle middle end. Um, I don't have it right in front of me. Let me move it forward. It looks like there it is. Yeah, late January. Yeah, 27th, around the 27th of January, um, and the exact conjunction between Mercury and Mars this month is going to take place on the 27th and 28th. So that's the exact conjunction between those two here, which is the sort of like height of that energy the day after the full moon goes exact. And then um, Mercury eventually at the very end of December and the beginning of January stations direct. And the new year, like January 1st and 2nd, actually begins with Mercury stationing direct at 22 degrees of Sagittarius. So that's the end point of the retrograde once we start to see some resolution, and then Mars will eventually move out of Sagittarius and move into Capricorn in the first week of January. Yeah, and then I don't think they get more than seven, eight degrees apart um, because Mercury stations direct and then takes a little time to get moving again. Um, and then uh, Mercury is slowly chasing Mars for pretty much all of January until they uh, they hit that exact conjunction. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, what like was it early twenty twenty two, like the beginning of the Ukraine war that was kind of happening between those like Venus and Mars were like chasing each other. Mm-hmm. 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 Um. So, but back to December. So we get that full full moon. Um, we get Mercury station slowing down to station direct, and we get um, Venus changing signs and moving out of Scorpio on the the twenty ninth. 
um, is another big shift. Um, and because Venus like immediately then runs into Saturn the last few days of December and the first day of January, that's actually one of the, the closest aspects that's happening on New Year's Eve, which is kind of a downer because usually Saturn is like more of a cold energy and it has a, a way of dumping a bucket of like cold ice water on top of uh, Venus that is otherwise usually trying to bring people together and like unify things. Uh, Venus can kind of, or Saturn can kind of cool off relationships when those two are squaring each other. Yeah. And Venus and Sagittarius is um, usually, usually a very festive influence. And so, yeah, having, uh, hitting that square to Saturn uh, early on is, is, uh, is a bit of a bummer. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of hate New Year's as a as a as a like fake festival. So I'm I'm okay with that. You know, um it, just do it on the equinox or pick or do that you do pay do it on the solstice, do it on one of the equinoxes. Like just do something. I I, I don't like how not actually astronomical New Year's is. Um it's like, oh, it's 10-ish days after a solstice. Yeah. Do it or do it like the uh like the East Asian New Year. Um, do it like what's second new moon after the solstice, but like pick something astronomical, which is then therefore astrological. Um, I the arbitrariness of New Year's uh, always pisses me off. Yeah, totally. We've definitely gotten away from that. Where a lot of the older festivals always used to be based on different astronomical alignments, because that's what the calendar originally was based on and grew out of, and was much more closely tied into. And and we've definitely gotten away from that societally. Yeah, I mean that's literally like um, all of our almost all of our reckoning of time are based on our relationship to um, the rest of the universe, like our relationship to the sun, that's days and years. Our the moon used to, or excuse me, months used to be about relationship to the moon and still have a similar time scale, but it's, you know, it's not that hard. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess it is hard to change calendars. Um, but if we were starting from zero, it's, you know, just stick it on the solstice. Yeah, for sure. Um, that reminded me um, in terms of looking for and speaking of calendars and different things like that and looking for you know good bit good days and bad days to do things during the course of the month and when the astrological energies are going to be a little bit more flowing um, I meant to mention the auspicious electional chart for this month which is actually towards the beginning of the month for reasons that should be obvious at this point so let me put that up All right, so sorry, I had a typo. All right, so here's our chart for the month. Um, we're going to give it two charts actually on two different days, but the primary day, one of the days is December 2nd, 2023, at about 1:35 a.m. with early Libra rising. So this chart and the following day around the same time on December 3rd with the same time and the same rising sign are our two possible electional charts for this month. 
because we'd like to recommend getting in good electional stuff early in the month before that Mercury retrograde really gets going and before Mercury like retrogrades back into Sag and conjoins Mars and all of that stuff so that we try to take advantage of um, the period of time in early December before that happens when Mercury is still applying to the trine with Jupiter, but also taking advantage of that last little brief bit of Venus and Libra to um, get some good electional juice out of that placement. So in order to do that, we have a chart on December 2nd where Libra is rising and Venus is in Libra in uh, Venus's own sign in Libra in the first house or in the first whole sign house. Um, the moon is in Leo and depending on your time zone, it's either applying to a square with Jupiter or just barely separating from a square with Jupiter. And the moon is going to be trining the sun in Sagittarius um, from its position in Leo uh, in the 11th whole sign house. So this chart is primarily good for things that relate to Venus because of Venus's condition as the ruler of the ascendant and Venus being so strong in the sign of Libra. So things that you want to have a positive aesthetic appeal so that they appear um, sort of appealing to other people. Um, things that you want to emphasize Venus's basic nature of like unifying and reconciling things, all of those would be pretty good uses for this chart. Um, it also has Jupiter in the eighth house, although it's in a night chart. This, this is a night chart, so Venus is also the benefic of the sect, so Venus is the most positive planet in the chart, and by placing it in the first house, it kind of emphasizes that what you start at this time um, will have that more benefic energy of growth and building things up rather than the more malefic energy of sort of like tearing things down. Um, let's see, you actually use, you had a, an election recently involving Venus, right? Like what do you use Venus elections for? Oh, let's see. Um, yeah, any, um, let's see. Yeah. Somebody in the chat said redecorating. Um, yeah, like um, Venus, especially in Libra, has this quality of being good for design when something needs to be rearranged into uh, like a more pleasing and functional sort of format. Venus elections are also good for any sort of social stuff or getting back in touch with people or um, arranging something with someone which could be explicitly social, but is also like um, you know, if you're if you're working together, right? You have like things to figure out, like when are we going to do the yearly or whatever, um, you know, which uh, conversation we had recently. Um, that that things that in things that benefit from good, uh, from easy flow, easy and harmonious social flow, where it's easy to work together um, with people, benefit from from a strong Venus placement. Yeah, for sure. I've also been understanding like the social component of Venus and Venus and Libra, especially of bringing together two sides that are at odds and being able to find a way to reconcile them. I think Venus and Libra is really good for that. And this chart would also be good for that, whether that's like socially among friends or among, you know, businesses or um, other things like that. It could be very useful. So um, the 10th house is also in good shape. You can use any degree of Libra rising, but try to get the midheaven so it's around four, five, six degrees of Cancer. That way, the midheaven is sextile Jupiter in the eighth house. Um, the moon is the ruler of the 10th house and it's in the 11th house of friends. 
So it's in a pretty good position in terms of friends, groups, and social movements. Um, we picked out the second as probably the primary day, but the December 3rd is also pretty good. At that point, the moon will be later in Leo and it'll be applying directly to a sextile with Venus, which just em emphasizes some of those Venusian themes and also emphasizes the connection between the 11th house of friends and, and groups and alliances and Venus's basic function to unify and reconcile things. So um, yeah, so that's our best electional chart of December right at the top of the month. And um, yesterday, Lisa Scheim and I actually released our big annual year ahead 2024 electional astrology report that we do every year, where we look ahead at the best electional charts over the course of the next 12 months. And we release that as a report um, that people can download or, or purchase in order to get the best electional chart for the next 12 months. So you can use this report to gain insights into the most fortuitous dates, ideal projects to launch on specific days, as well as activities to avoid. Um, the report includes a two-and-a-half-hour two, two video workshop that's available in both video and audio format. It also includes a PDF summary for quick reference, printable PDF charts for all of the elections discussed, um, a tutorial for adapting our charts to your city or location, as well as another tutorial for aligning your birth chart to our electional charts. So we've been doing this report for five years now, and we found some really great charts for next year that we're excited about, especially with some of the pileups in Taurus and Gemini that are occurring in the spring. Um, whether you're a beginner or an advanced astrologer, the report offers valuable insights and inspiration for planning major life events and ventures throughout the year. So previous customers always rave about the value and clarity of the previous year's reports, emphasizing their practicality for planning and learning electional astrology. So we're going to do a launch sale where it's actually 15% off for the first month until January 1st, 2024. So that the initial launch price is just going to be $54.95 for the entire year ahead report. And then we're going to raise the price to $64.95 in January. So if you'd like to get the report at the discounted rate over the course of the next month, you can go to theastrologypodcast.com slash 2024 report. And there you'll find more information about it, as well as information about how you can purchase it at the discounted rate. So that was a big deal that we finally got out yesterday using that same electional chart I think that you used to um, put some things together as well, right? Yeah, yeah. The rising was different, but um, yeah, we might have done a we might have we might have uh, done a sphere and sundry uh, last night. Maybe, yeah. I didn't mean to not to confirm or deny that you did or did not do <laughs> anything. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we've seen a lot over the past year, the value sometimes of knowing when the astrological weather is going to be good and when there's certain days that are going to be more auspicious for certain types of ventures or activities versus when probably to avoid trying to schedule major things. Um, and sometimes that's really useful information. So that's one of the reasons why I'm always excited to put that together for people to help give them a guide to you know, the same things that you and I regularly put into practice each day in terms of picking what days to to do things. Well, it's so nice to look, uh, to look at things, you know, um, six months ahead of time or even a year, like, okay, I know I'm going to be doing that during the summer. Um, and so like, oh yeah, so early, 
or like mid July, right? Or like, actually, it's worth holding off until September. And those kinds of sort of uh, that kind of arrangement and placement and time um, seems unendurable when you're closer to it. But, you know, when it's the beginning end of the year and you're you're naturally thinking in broader time scales um it's much easier to like to locate things but yeah you know what i'm going to try to get that done by the end of summer rather than like um you know it's june and you're like oh i should get it done now you know uh looking at it's so much easier to schedule things when you're not right up against it and so, yeah, yeah an annual report like that i think is really nice when especially if you're doing something that requires long-term planning, like planning a wedding, you know, launching a business, going on a major trip or something like that, um, it's good to know what the weather is going to be like ahead of time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's just you know something that we I was going to say we get it for free. It's not free at all. Um, but one benefit from doing all of the research into the yearly every year is that it's sort of like having a map of the year. Like you've already done a tour. Right. You haven't um, <laughs> uh, uh, you haven't you haven't lived all of it yet, but it's sort of like it's sort of like uh, with a level of Mario Brothers. It's like having the camera pan over all of the obstacles and gold coins and power ups and like getting a view of it. And then you start the level rather than, you know, just discovering it in the moment and being, um, you know, uh, terribly excited or disappointed and easily confused. Yeah, for sure. Um, and doing the forecast is important to that. And that's part of what this is, is an astrological forecast in addition to picking out the individual charts. Um, yeah, so people should check that out. And let's get back to the December forecast just to wrap things up. There was one aspect I meant to mention at the very end of the month, which is that Jupiter is making its final station, its direct station in the sign of Taurus at the very end of the month on the 30th, which is one of the actually more positive aspects that it's occurring late in this month, especially if anybody has any placements in fixed signs or if Taurus is important for you, like if it was your rising sign or your 10th house or something, that Jupiter state, uh, station could be a positive turning point. How do you feel about Jupiter stationing in, in Taurus? I like it. Um, you know, generally speaking, so uh, generally speaking, so Jupiter, Jupiter pretty much always has one retrograde station and one direct station per sign. Um, Jupiter's retrograde about a third of the year. Um, and so we always have this first direct phase with Jupiter in the sign, then retrograde, and then we have the, the direct again. And so uh, generally, so with Jupiter, we have this, you know, attempt to improve something or to mitigate difficulty, which is, you know, uh, sort of preventing, uh, preventing decay, which is its own form of, you know, sort of growth. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, we're trying to like get something going, learn something, do something. And then <clears throat> during the retrograde phase, you know, we see. Um, maybe we need to back up a little bit, you know, we've gotten ahead of ourselves or we need to, we need to kind of integrate some, uh, you know, need to think about things or sort of hold the territory we've taken and then Jupiter stations direct for that last third. And so, um, the, the direct station of Jupiter, you know, initiates that in this case, the last third of Jupiter's time in Taurus, right. It's going to be about another four months. 
Um, and so it's a nice, it's sort of like, okay, now that you tried and kind of failed, kind of succeeded, maybe figured some things out, figured out what's in the way or what you need to work around. Um, you know, it's another whole four months of Jupiter direct in Taurus, which, you know, uh, it's sort of the, I, I guess I would sum up or try to concentrate as um, the sort of work of stability, of trying to stabilize things in the midst of a variety of disruptive factors of the world um, going through some things, right? Jupiter Jupiter and Taurus really seems to have, seems to focus on that like uh, ability to, uh, or the benefit of being able to keep things steady even when they're not steady, like the quality of a, of a shock absorber, right? It doesn't change, the, it doesn't change the road. Um, but it, it changes your ride as well as the uh, the experience of everyone in the vehicle. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Jupiter went into Taurus back in May of this year and began a period of growth and expansion in each of our charts and whatever house that it went into at that time, whatever whole sign house it went into, whether it's your seventh house of relationships or your 10th house of career or or whatever, um, but when it went retrograde back in September, sometimes um, that notion of growth and expansion can be drawn back or can be inhibited a bit. And this direct station, when Jupiter actually starts moving forward in Taurus again, especially for people that have Jupiter activated this year as a Time Lord, or if it's in a prominent part of your chart, that more optimistic um, sense of forward movement and growth and rapid expansion, I think, will come back that you may have been feeling between May and September before Jupiter stationed retrograde. You'll see a return of that as Jupiter stations um, direct here at the very end of December. And oftentimes, very close within days of when a station happens, you can kind of feel that energy and see an important turning point take place usually related to the topics of the house that it's stationing in in your chart yeah there's the sense of um there's progress to be made or the the way is open for progress in that area like oh i was doing really well on x y and z um up until september and then some stuff happened and um you know that took a while to resolve and oh sort of back to this thing that i was doing like oh there the way the road is clear to 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 go back to work on on that or to get back to making progress on that totally and also to get while well, the getting is good because then once that station happens the countdown to jupiter leaving Taurus at the end of May is on. So if that's an important um, area for you, and if you start returning back towards finishing something and growing in that specific area of your chart, there's sort of like a countdown to try to squeeze in and do as much as you can in that area and get as much of that Jupiter transit as you can out of it before the transit is over um, on May. I think it's like May 25th, 26th, when Jupiter departs from Taurus and will move into Gemini. Yeah, yeah, this is a particularly good one for you. Then um, it's sort it's go time again. You have four months left. Yeah, and the final thing is since it's stationing there, it's also stationing with Uranus. So it's another sort of a reactivation of that Jupiter Uranus conjunction, which which has moved very far away, and we've maybe forgotten a little bit that it exists at this point. Um, but I think this station of Jupiter at the very end of the month will remind us of that and remind us of some of the ways in which Jupiter-Uranus conjunctions can represent um, growth and innovation or growth through innovation, as well as unexpected benefits, um, 
that sometimes come out of the blue that you can take advantage of at that time. Um, so that's another, it's kind of a positive, it's one of the more positive aspects that we end the year with, even though there's some other like chaotic intense ones like that Mercury Mars conjunction. Yeah. 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 It's um, yeah. The, nothing, nothing wrong with the Jupiter station or a Jupiter, a Jupiter's direct station. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that kind of brings us to the end of the month. Is there any other final thoughts? Um, I know we're going to transition into a different section where we're going to reflect a little bit on this year, but before we do that, did you want to say anything more about December? Is there anything we forgot to mention or missed that we meant to mention about the astrology of this month? I would just say that um, paying attention to the difference, uh, the difference in the periods where Mercury is in Capricorn versus in Sagittarius um, is going to be uh, is those like that difference is going to be a, a lot of the experiential difference of the month, like the easier, more constructive, thoughtful um, portion, like the first half ish um is really defined by that and then you know there there is some uh, there is like there there's certainly a more a less planned intentional more chaotic quality to the mercury mars um and you know don't spend the don't spend the mercury direct in capricorn at the beginning of the month just dreading the end like there's there's good mapping and constructing and sequencing thinking to be done there and you're probably going to get interrupted but you'll come back to it and you'll be glad you did whatever you did um but just yeah i think that's that's the that's the sort of main thing is that that last that last roughly 10 days um has uh has surprises and is a little bit more jagged than it seems like it should be yeah and that turning point is december 22nd that's the dividing line when mercury retrogrades back into sagittarius the day after that um so yeah, so so use the first part of the month um, when the Mercury aspects are more constructive to do some of those important things and to make amends and make resolutions. Um, there will probably be some people that use that retrograde conjunction with Mars in the later part of the month constructively, though, because sometimes maybe you have to go back and litigate the past. Maybe there's things about the past that need to be dug up again and addressed, even that if that causes controversy. And I'm sure for some people, even though that's not going to be an easy process, um, it may be a necessary process in order to move forward again, um, which is going to be represented by Mercury actually stationing direct and starting to move forward in zodiacal order. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the dividing line between the first and the second half of the month, which turns at on December 22nd, and we will be writing things down and taking notes about the news and we'll check in again next month to see how things went and what that actually ended up manifesting in once you take some of these broad sort of archetypal principles that we've been talking about in trying to interpret the symbolism of this. Uh, we'll see how it turns out in concrete terms, in terms of the manifold different ways that these different things can happen in the, the different lives of people around the world. Yeah, what it actually looks like. Yeah. All right, so um, we wanted to do a little bit of a retrospective here at the very end of this episode since it's December and since we've reached the end of another year, and next month we're going to do our year-ahead forecast for 2024, 
which we're going to record, I think we said on December 22nd with our live audience of patrons and people have signed up through our page on patreon.com. And then we'll release that publicly um, sometime in the next week towards the end of December. But since we're at the end of the month and at the end of the year, Austin, you actually suggested maybe we do a little bit of a retrospective about how things went and what some of the major astrological alignments were over the past year. Um, what were you thinking about in terms of that or um, what, what yeah. made that come to mind? Well, just a little look back because we, um, um, because we spend, you know, we're uh, necessarily entirely focused on the, the immensity, the weight of the oncoming year when we do the yearly, um, mm. and it's natural to, you know, as the year winds down to look back on what happened, um, and uh, this, although this is, uh, you know, very subjective, this this year really felt like it flew by. Um, yeah. I'm probably not the only person that felt that way. Um, but you know, quite a bit, quite a bit has happened over the last year. You know, a year ago, we were still in the Saturn and Aquarius era. feels like Saturn's been in Pisces for 18 years. Yeah, for sure. Especially with those of us with, uh, with Pisces placements, I, I expect. <laughs> so that, I mean, that shift, well, even before, I want to talk about that, but one of the shifts that happened also was Pluto and Aquarius. Cause Remember when we did the year ahead forecast, you know, the chat GBT had just dropped and it just became this like rapidly, um, this huge thing that everyone was like marveling at that it seemed like AI was getting closer and closer. And um, and then Pluto went right into Aquarius very early in the year in March. And it just created this explosion of discussion of all these different companies like Google and Microsoft and everyone else were just falling all over each other to roll out their own AI programs or to, um, you know, focus on research with that. And it seemed like that was like a major thing that happened over the past year was first the explosion of discussion about AI and some of the issues surrounding it, including um, discussions about its its potential impact on the future. But then Pluto retrograded back into Capricorn and things got quieter, but also there were discussions about like regulation of AI, if there should be laws surrounding it, as well as different people taking this new technology and finding different ways to monetize it. Like there's so many different websites now that have integrated AI in different forms into their, their programs. And that's been one of the really interesting things to see for me over the past year. Yeah, yeah, and that that was, uh, you know, we were we were very much looking forward to Pluto and Aquarius because Pluto hasn't changed signs since two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when it waffled back and forth between Sagittarius and Capricorn, mm. right? And we were looking at that as a as a preview of the topics of the next twenty years, um, and I would say that we were quite gratified. Right. Like suddenly everybody was worried about the literally the next 20 years. <laughs> uh, like, oh, my God, what's this going to do over the next 20 years? I saw that uh, timeline used a lot by non-astrologers. Yeah. Um, of specific discussions of like, are we going to create a sentient new intelligence that's smarter than humanity sometime in the next 20 years that becomes self-aware and that actually being like a legitimate discussion really became very strong once Pluto moved into Aquarius uh, way back in March. Yeah. I don't know if it was a legitimate discussion, but it was happening a lot. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Buddy. No, but yeah, it, it, there was, um, you know, either um, um, AI is going to destroy us. AI is going to save us or um, AI is fake and stupid. And we should, I wish people would stop talking about it. Like pick one, right? right. Like everybody, everybody picked one. Yeah. Um, and suddenly everybody has an op opinion about that. Whereas prior to this year, probably that would have been a very small, like niche area of interest that hardly very few people would even have an opinion on that yeah whereas everybody yeah <laughs> and that the when it comes back into the news and I'll, I'll be shocked if it isn't within a you know within a week of pluto moving back into aquarius that the uh uh the 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 intense discussion uh like it's i'll, I'll be shocked if it doesn't begin again like timed that tightly to it so that was, yeah, that was interesting. And that gave us, that certainly gave us the preview, right? And and again, like that all just kind of tapered off super quickly as soon as Pluto wasn't in Aquarius. There was yeah. also less- Which was over the summer. Yeah, and less impactful, but like still there um, and very Pluto and Aquarius themed was um, all the uh, uh, the intensity of the alien disclosure stuff, mm -hmm. um, which again, um, if you've met, People with planets in Aquarius, they may seem alien to you uh, or outside uh, the human world. Um, but, you know, that that sort of that classic association of Aquarius with what is, what is alien or interstellar um, uh, also intersected with that time. Yeah. And we also had the return of Pluto into Capricorn for some of the last, you know, passes of that before it's done with that for the next two centuries. And um, there was also the the questions we had in the year ahead forecast about like what's the final Pluto return of that final pass of Pluto returning back to where it was when the country was founded in the U.S. What's that going to look like in October? And like we said at the beginning of this episode, it was striking that that did coincide with this historic event of like the Speaker of the House being fired and that position being vacant for the first time in history for several weeks, as well as um, you know somebody being put into place there. And the questions of if that'll end up having longer term implications, for example, the for the 2024 election. And that's something we'll see here over the course of the next year. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 much more I, I think I'll be able to much better interpret that Pluto return or those Pluto returns in retrospect. I feel like we don't I, I'm having a hard time knowing exactly what it means with the context that we have now. Because there's a lot of well, if this happens, then that meant that, right? But if right. that happens, yeah. but yeah, it's interesting. And just to get it, um, uh, not to be do, too dismissive, but with a lot of um, really dramatic astrological configurations, I want to just get it over with and see what it is and what it isn't. And just getting that the U.S.'s Pluto return over with was something that uh <laughs> that I was excited about like let's just get it over with and see what it is and what it isn't as best we can yeah for um, example yeah for sure and I guess because it was at the founding of the country I just assumed it would be something going back to that and and the founding of the country is the founding of the democracy and the questions of if there's something about the basic democratic principles that are up for questioning or revision or being bulldozed is my greatest fear that I hope isn't the outcome of all of this, but we'll have to see what happens over the course of the next few years once we're out of this period and what it looked like in retrospect if some of those decisions and turning points, you know, that happened, even like 
you know, a lot of stuff was happening in October with Trump getting different charges and going through this process and this like drama about whether he's going to be convicted before the election, if 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 that if he's convicted at all, and if um, there's some repercussions for some of the stuff that happened, for example, back in like like January of 2021, or if there's not, and whether depending on where that goes, what implications that'll have for like the country if he becomes president again or what have you. Yeah, it's, it's all it, it all points to the future. It points to a future that's pretty. Uh, how should we say? Uh, still behind the curtain, um, will probably become obnoxiously clear in retrospect. But yeah, Pluto, Pluto, Pluto being ominous, uh, foreshadowing, <laughs> foreshadowing both clearly, uh, in the case of Pluto and Aquarius, the Pluto and Aquarius AI stuff, and then sort of ominously and un and. Uh, should we say pointedly, but 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 unclearly in the case of the Pluto return of the United States. Yeah. Um, Pluto and was also big in October. You might be worth mentioning as well. Like a large part of, um, I felt like we accurately talked about a lot of the energies that became really prominent in October, and it was largely through seeing that Pluto was prominent and talking about that very bluntly. Um, that was another area where Pluto was very prominent because of that Mars-Pluto square, especially that was happening around October 6th and 7th and 8th, as well as the both eclipses being tied in with Pluto, like that um, solar eclipse in Libra on the 13th mm -hmm. of October that was squaring Pluto. And a lot of our discussions about like the use of power or um, the misuse of power or going too far uh, and different things like that were based on our basic interpretations of Pluto aspects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, none of that, none of that um, makes sense or would have happened without Pluto. Yeah. And then we also, as I said before, you know, Saturn feels like it's been in Pisces forever. Saturn actually snuck into Pisces a couple weeks before we got the Pluto and Aquarius preview. Um, and you know that that's been really interesting because it moved us out of um it really it moved us out of the uh at least what will be remembered as the pandemic years right we get Saturn and Saturn moved into Aquarius um uh, we got a sneak peek of Saturn Aquarius um almost uh, uh almost exactly as the lockdowns began in 2020 and then it moved back into capricorn and then end of 2020 slash beginning of 2021 we had saturn aquarius and it was just there square uranus until last march um, yeah that's a good point and then because robert weinstein i think earlier around that forecast pointed out that the government in the u.s at least kind of dropped the remaining like COVID protocols around the time that Saturn was departing from Aquarius, which ended up being striking, even though COVID is still around and is still lots of people, actually thousands of people are dying from it regularly. And the excess death numbers are still up higher than they should be in previous years before COVID existed. It was interesting seeing that there really was a transition this year, as you're saying, to almost like whatever the post- you know, intense COVID period was for those three years when Saturn was transiting through Aquarius. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like, yeah, it, it had the sense of like um, a, a new chapter historically or paragraph or whatever, you know, sequencing metaphor. Um, and what's interesting, right, it's like out of the COVID area into 
And so out of Saturn Uranus into Saturn Neptune, right? And so what, you know, I think having what about eight months now of Saturn and Pisces, um, it's very, or nine months, it's very like, so what is this era? Like it's, a, I would say it's appropriately confused. We would expect Saturn and Pisces to be prone to confusion. We would expect Saturn Neptune to be prone to confusion or not even, not even an active confusion, but a lack of clarity. Right. So it's like, so what is, what are we doing now? It's, I guess we're no longer, uh, you know, we're no longer, we're not doing that anymore, but what are we doing? Right. And I, I, I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone's been like uh, giving us a, a clear, like, Oh, this is this. Right. Cause we had, you know um, I, I think if we look back the last 20 years, we could probably give each Saturn uh, period a pretty clear name. Right. Um, but like, what, what is it? What's going, what's going on? Where are we going? Yeah. I think that feeling is just going to get more and more intense next year as Saturn and Neptune get closer and closer together. And that feeling of, um, nebulousness and uncertainty becoming more pronounced. I was really impressed though, this year, how literal many of the water themes were. Like we talked about water yeah. being a major theme in our year ahead forecast with Saturn going into Pisces, the sign of the fishes. And, um, it was really funny, like in June, right when Saturn stationed retrograde for the very first time in Pisces, we had that submarine incident where, you know, all of a sudden the world was like focused for a week and the media at least was focused on this question of whether these, uh, what was like five or 10 people in a submarine were like trapped there for yeah. a week and all of the drama surrounding that there was simultaneously like a big, um, boat that capsized that killed, I think, like 200 or 300 people in the Mediterranean at the time. There was also all these stories about like orcas attacking boats that were happening at the same time. It was really wild how literal it was. And then interestingly, over the past month, um, I noticed more boat stories coming up. One of them was that in different parts of the world, there were like um, protesters who were trying to like stop arms shipments to Israel and they were going to ports and they were like blocking or stopping boats mm -hmm. from departing from ports that had arms shipments. And um, that was happening very close to like Saturn stationing again in Pisces in, in November. And it was really striking. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of the, um, yeah, the, and yeah, all of the like <clears throat> the literal liquid metaphors, the, um, shipping lanes the you know there's something about the uh, there's some qualities that that submarine uh accident had where which are feel very saturn pisces like under a lot of pressure and confused right, right. where it's like i don't know we're somewhere way beneath the surface like this is a very i think it's fair to say this is a very pressurized period of history um but um, if we look at, you know, the Saturn Aquarius years, like 21, 22, it was pressurized, but in a very, um, uh, a very obvious way, right? It was, um, you know, there was what was happening. There were, there was the policy and people were for this and angry about this and dying from that. But it was like clear, like Saturn might be grim, but Saturn gives facts um, and like concrete things. 
whereas like the you know the Saturn Neptune it's sort of everywhere like oh what's going on it's historic times but where is any of this going you know like that that quality is so overwhelming and I would add just one more thing to the Saturn Neptune let me um, add which is real quick before you yeah, move go on ahead. from that point which is just um fear like I always when I came up learning modern astrology I always learned especially Noel Till always emphasizes that Saturn in your chart can indicate where you have fears and it was so striking for me seeing the transition from Saturn and Aquarius and the fear being surrounding like air and literally like the air being mm -hmm. contaminated by like COVID to fears surrounding water. And all of a sudden in June, like everybody mm -hmm. thinking about this scenario of like, what if you're trapped in a submarine and you're like a mile below the surface and you can't get out and, and just um, the shit, the fear shifting from like air mm -hmm. to water being very literal in some instances because last year in the year head forecast, we also talked about Pluto being about fears, but it was more like they're different. They're very distinctive, like Saturn's type of fear versus Pluto. We talked about being almost like terror or um, shifting in different eras, the scope of terror. And it was interesting seeing um, you know people having fears or terror surrounding like AI with Pluto and Aquarius versus this type of, of fear that Saturn brings in different signs. Yeah, I believe I abbreviated that as sort of fear of the unknown for Pluto, where you can project onto it, and then fear of the terrifying known with Saturn, right? Like the fear of the air during Saturn and Aquarius was, oh, people are people are getting a disease from the air, right? Or the fear of the water. It's like, oh, water will crush you, right? Those are knowns. Um, and it's not that fear of the known or unknown is one is better or worse, right? But they have a different quality. Yeah, um, for sure. What I was going to add with the with Saturn joining Neptune in Pisces, we also saw, um, you know, we were watching, uh, we were watching Russia because Russian history just, uh, just uh, with shocking reliability, like pivots, um, uh, pivots dramatically around Saturn Neptune conjunctions every single time. Right. Uh, end of the uh, fall of the Soviet Union, death of Stalin, the Russian Revolution, the one before that was the assassination of Alexander II, et cetera, et cetera. Just always big. And um, it, we haven't, uh, you know, we're, we're still some years away from the exact conjunction, but within, you know, four months of this one, we had, um, uh, we had Prigozhin's like, I don't know what to call it. Um, a mutiny, like uh, the the Prigozhin, it was Evgeny Prigozhin, um, marched an uh, or drove an armored column towards Moscow and shot down um, uh, Russian military uh, helicopters before deciding, I guess, not to do a coup. That's all still somewhat mysterious. Um, but you know, we've been looking at. Um, at Russian history, because that's what happens during Saturn Neptune, and seeing those rumblings already um, was I, I don't think I don't I, I know I was surprised that we got something that dramatic that quickly. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, history doesn't pivot on that one event, but I don't know that's that's very suggestive. Yeah, well, it's because we're so early in that transit, and we're expecting it closer to the exact conjunction of Saturn and Neptune in a few years from now. Yeah. Um, but that was an early preview, but it, that that one specifically was also tied in with the Venus retrograde that happened this summer because it turned out there had been similar things on previous Venus retrogrades. And then with this one, I think that happened very early in the Venus retrograde, early in the summer, and then he was killed or probably more likely assassinated, I think, closer to when Venus was 
direct um, and passing the same degrees later in the summer, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when his plane happened to fall out of the sky. Right. Yeah. Which is something that happens occasionally, I guess, if you try to like, you know, form into coup in Russia. <laughs> yeah. I'm, they're probably unrelated. Um, yeah. But yeah. And then, and so, yeah, Saturn and Pisces, um, all of my, me and all of my mutable, mutable brethren, uh, finally getting some of the wrath because the wrath had been focused pretty squarely on fixed signs for a while. Um, and then, but the fixed signs uh, still got to, got to do the Venus retrograde in Leo. Right. So that started, started, started brewing in June and wasn't really wrapped up until September. So I actually have a Venus retrograde story that I couldn't tell at the time. So um, the day of the Venus retrograde station, um, I was, uh, I was woken by Kate and she was like, she, she was like putting what I thought would look like a thermometer, like right in my face. Um, and I, I didn't understand what was happening. It takes me like an hour to like enter the waking world. This was like Sunday. This was literally like waking up with the Venus retrograde station. Um, and it was actually a positive pregnancy test. And what was uh, what was Venus retrograde about this is that we'd been we'd been trying for a little bit and Kate had coincidentally had a blood test um, like a week and a half before from the doctor and it was negative. And so we were both like it wasn't just like, you know, some shitty home test that said not this time, like we got like the doctor blood test. And so then the retrogrows, oh, holy shit, um, like this is. We're, we're doing this <laughs> we're doing this so right not all the venus stations are bad but it was it was definitely a surprise and you know with venus and pregnancy um the best take on that i've heard uh, I, that on that that i've heard is actually from my my vedic teacher freedom cole he said that you know um, venus is about getting pregnant it's not about sustaining a pregnancy or any of the other portions but like um, you want to, you look to Venus for whether a person is, is going to get pregnant or not. Um, and so that like, actually, you know, it's funny because it was a reversal of no into a yes. Uh, so thank you everybody in the comments. Um, so Kate's um, pretty fucking pregnant right now. And we, you know, we talked about when we would, you know, tell people about it because we didn't want to, um, I don't know like be tacky and social media -y about the pregnancy but we also didn't want yeah to I, got, I gotta say that has been the hardest thing being privy to that information and not getting to tell everyone on the forecast episodes when venus was stationing that that's that that coincided with that that was a pretty big that was like a nuclear level secret the past several months yeah yeah it was it was big and so, you know, we also didn't want to like hide it forever, like secretly have a five-year-old that nobody right. knew about. And yeah. so we we just kind of decided like when Kate, where if someone saw Kate, if it was visually quite clear, um, then, you know, like that's the time to stop hiding. When it would be difficult to hide it visually, then then we would stop. Then, we, then I wouldn't conspicuously avoid it in conversation. So nice. we're there and you, now. And you found out when Venus station direct in Leo? No, no, the, the retrograde station. Oh, right. The retrograde it was the station. The day of the retrograde station. It was like, right. it, in, it was that reversal, like, oh, 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 no, we are doing this. Cause, you know, it's, it's sort of always in the future until it's 
really happening right and it's a very that's a very like on off thing right you're someone's pregnant or they're not um and so even if you're you want to do that maybe next month it's still like in the land of of maybe and possibility but that that yeah that station was actually it's on um that was amazing and um caitlin says in the comments there was a venus retrograde oh. reversal component which is that you were you were very sure it would be a girl from that we, uh, yeah. initially yeah we we both um um there had been a couple uh astrology uh the, like uh, there are a couple astrology techniques and there were a couple other things we were both really sure it was going to be a girl and then um it's definitely not a girl it's definitely a boy um and so but it took like multiple tests for us to believe that because there were so many things that suggested it was going to be a girl so that's another right. like um station thing like that yeah when well, funny because it was like that venus retrograde in leo and it was like the summer of women and like the barbie movie came out right on the venus station simultaneously and all that all that other stuff so it's kind of funny yeah I and mean, we just thought that for a long time I and mean, we'd always been able to ag agree on girl names whereas we'd never been able to agree on a boy name like we, we were like ready to go with the girl like we had the <laughs> the whole life and vision name etc cetera, etc cetera. um and so that was another like yeah, another another part of the the Venus station. Nice. Well, congratulations. That's so exciting. I'm really excited to like follow your journey like over the next several years, next many years as you like move into being parents and into fatherhood for you and and motherhood for Kate. Yeah, rest of our lives. Yeah, Fingers that's awesome. Crossed. So yeah, do um end of March. We'll see. We'll see when he actually arrives. Okay, so we're taking bets on Aries or Pisces at this point. Yeah, who knows, right? All right. I was three weeks premature, um, so you know who knows. Um, some you know, but yeah, a lot of lot of unknowns. You know, a little little curious about the birth chart, <laughs> and yeah. um, going to have to get better at not using astrology to create anxiety disorders right because right. you know however good you get at astrology you have a new challenge of not letting that drive you crazy mm. like you know don't be like oh but when they're 23 like when he's 23 there's going to be this this is awful you know you because you could look at a lot of time right and there's um <laughs> it's even worse than yourself because you have even less control so you know gonna gonna get better at that yeah, I think that'll be both a good um, Saturn in Pisces thing for you as a Pisces and developing the responsibility of being a parent, but also exercising the restraint maybe of, you know, uh, reeling in the astrology and using it when it's necessary and maybe not using it when it's not. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, wisdom sets knowledge, to, or excuse me, wisdom sets limits to knowledge. It's, uh, I think, a Nietzsche quote. I like that. All right. Well, brilliant. Congratulations. We look forward to hearing more about that. Whenever you want to drop future updates and future forecast episodes, please please do. Um, I'm sure everyone will be uh, you know, excited about it and everyone can wish Austin and Caitlin uh, good luck and congratulations in the comments. Um, awesome. So um, anything else in our retrospective that we wanted to mention um, 
about 2023 as we're wrapping up here. We had all those eclipses that happened. It feels like we've talked about that so much at this point. I don't know if it bears anything bears repeating. I'm a little eclipsed out after the past couple of months. Um, yeah, well, but- I, I would just about the Venus. Uh, so um, Kate getting pregnant wasn't the only thing that happened during the Venus retrograde. It was the most important thing by far. Um, but yeah, we had, uh, as you said, what was built as the summer women, we had the, the Barbie movie, right. Uh, Barbenheimer happened right. on that same, that same Venus retrograde day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like uh, pink, like the, co- the color of the year, the Pantone color of the year was like pink. And we've learned that Venus in Leo, especially Venus retrograde in Leo is pink and it's loud. And it was a really cool manifestation of that. If you see us talking about the archetype in the year ahead forecast, and we didn't know like the Barbie movie was coming out or anything. So it was really interesting seeing that happen once we actually got there and seeing the very literal, again, manifestation of some of those transits. Yeah, yeah, that and then that, you know, that coincided with the, you know, we had both a writer and actors strike. And yeah. that was a big part of the Jupiter and Taurus, the Jupiter, not just the Jupiter and Taurus, the Jupiter and Taurus with Uranus, right? Uranus. Uranus and Taurus loves um, labor movements historically, um, and we Jupiter's or excuse me Uranus has been in Taurus since 2018, but Jupiter joined it this year, and there's been um, not uh, there's been a in recent history unprecedented number of like huge uh, strikes like the entertainment industry ones get more pressed because it's the entertainment industry, but we had big nurses strikes. We've had auto workers strikes. Like that's a huge part of, uh, of Jupiter, Uranus and Taurus. And that's, there's another four months of that um, or five months of that from this point in time. And so that do was, we even that mention, thing. did we even mention that the actor's strike was finally resolved? Like right after Venus went into Libra in the past month? No, um, there, yeah, some, there were, I think there were, there were some weightier things that consumed our attention, but yeah, um, yes, that happened, right? We were, we were wondering like, is it the, you know, when does that end? Cause the writer's strike began and ended with two Mercury, um, uh, Mercury retrograde cycles, the Mercury retrograde in Taurus, it got going. And then with the resolution of the Mercury retrograde in Virgo, it ended, um, whereas the actor's strike. Um, I, I don't know if you were, but I was really curious to see if it was going to end when Venus went direct um, towards the end of the summer, and it didn't, but it ended as soon as Venus got into a place of strength, Libra, afterwards. It needed to like get through Virgo and then get to like a traditionally strong Venus place, and then it was just over. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the last thing was the eclipses. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened in the eclipses at the beginning of the year in April and May. The only major thing I remember was, um, you know, Prince Charles, the coronation occurring Mm -hmm. right on an eclipse in Scorpio um, in May was a pretty notable event in terms of, you know, Queen Elizabeth had been around and had been queen for so long. She became, if not the or one of the longest reigning monarchs in history. And then she passed away late last year. And then his uh, the coronation finally took place in May, right on that eclipse, and that was very notable, bringing up those ideas of like uh, transfers of power and um, pivotal people coming into power sometimes on eclipses or sometimes going out of power on eclipses. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I guess uh, on like a from with the larger frame, you know, this year we're 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 now moved uh, wholly 
out of the Scorpio Taurus eclipse cycle and into Libra Aries, right? And it, it was sort of half and half. Um, uh, it was half and half this last eclipse and the previous one as well. Both of them this year were half and half, but now we're fully into this new cycle. And so we're, we're sort of done with the eclipses um, on Uranus in Taurus, which we had for a year and a half. And that looked one of the things like that, those eclipses were very dis were extra disruptive um, around uh, uh, food supplies and logistics. A lot of that was kicked off uh, with, uh, or was coincided and tangled with the uh, Russo-Ukrainian war. Um, and then it was also super bad for tech or some tech people in general, um, but you know it was you had a, a bunch of the big crypto stuff happening. Uh, Musk bought Twitter, um, which is probably in retrospect really bad for Musk. <laughs> um, you know, like the, the it it was all tech and like basic uh, you know basic food supplies, lunch, grain, fertilizer, Taurus stuff, and so we're out of that cycle. Um, That's really good. Action around Uranus, but it's Jupiter, not not Rahu, not the dragon's head. And I forgot to, something I meant to mention is like, you know, those eclipses last year in Taurus and Scorpio, especially the Taurus ones kept coinciding with like these disasters for like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which ended up tanking the price. But then in October, the two eclipses that happened in October um, ended up coinciding with a turning point where all of a sudden the price of Bitcoin started shooting up. And I actually took a screenshot yesterday um, to show that. Remember, the Libra eclipse occurred on October 13th. And if you put that on a graph wow. for the price of Bitcoin, you see that eclipse hit. And then all of a sudden, the price just starts shooting upwards um, from being at a at a low. And it's like doubled its value or more than doubled its value since that time. And that was the first eclipse in October. And then the second eclipse was two weeks later. And then the price just continued to shoot upwards even more. So over the past couple of years, we've seen some weird things with Bitcoin being very tied in with the eclipse cycle and seeing um, these pivot points of it going really far up or really far down on right on those eclipses. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens to crypto in general now that we're done with eclipses on that Uranus and Taurus, which, um, you know, see, uh, Uranus and Taurus is both historically... Um, as well as this particular go go around, been very involved with currency. Um, you look back every eighty four years with the Uranus and Taurus. There's always big currency stuff, and so this time, crypto is part of that story. And so we're getting to the end of Uranus and Taurus, but not quite yet. Right? There's a little bit, little bit to go. We got to get to twenty five, twenty six to be fully done with that. But you know, we're, we've done more, there's more Uranus and Taurus stuff behind us than there is in front of us by far. Yeah. And then finally in October, of course, as we talked about a lot in the past two forecast episodes, we had the first of a series of eclipses that will take place over the next year or two in Libra. And that very first one, um, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, everything happening in Israel and Palestine was really centered on those two eclipses. And um, that's one of the things that we'll we'll continue returning to since we're going to see eclipses come back to Libra um, a couple more times next year in 2024, and I'm sure we'll see the continued unfoldment of that story and and where it's all headed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and 
we haven't, even though we've had an eclipse in Aries and a eclipse in Libra, we haven't um, we haven't had just we haven't had them as a pair or two weeks apart. We had one um, during the first half of the year and then the other during the second half, but they were they were packaged with a Taurus and a Scorpio. So we were again kind of one foot in, one foot out of the old cycle and the new cycle. Um, but now it's just Libra Aries uh, for the next bit for next year. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, so that'll be important. We saw how that was tied in with the national horoscope of of Israel, and we'll have to pay attention to that with in the future with other countries when we see like an eclipse happening in the rising sign of the country, if we know a birth time, and that being a really important turning point. Um, yeah, in terms of world history. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's pretty good for review. Um, that's been it's been really interesting. It's been really fun. Not sometimes fun, sometimes just uh, astrologer good, which is sometimes when you you know see a terrible transit happening, but you're which you have a terrible experience with, but then sometimes you're so impressed with how literal the astrology was that you're kind of like you know, interested in that abstractly, um, but it's been good doing these forecasts with you over the past year. And I'm excited about doing the year ahead forecast with you next month. Yeah. 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 yeah me too. Um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the yearly. It's, you know, it's really interesting to check in once a month and just kind of look at what's look back and look forward and, um, you know, do it again. Yeah. It feels like a process of like breathing outwards and and inhaling and breathing inwards each month, like that process we're doing of um, looking to the future and then also assessing what just happened in the past. It like becomes a nice regular thing at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Move with the time. All right. So what do you have coming up this month? Do you have any big projects you're launching? Yeah, there are a couple things. Um, actually, I had to make notes so I remember. Um, so I've got a bunch of, a uh, bunch of lectures and workshops that I've given over the last five years that are finally up on the website. That's there. Um, I'm doing a big enrollment for my year one program in the middle of the month. Um, if you're interested in that, um, uh, make sure to sign up, uh, for the wait list on the website. The notifications aren't going to go out, uh, publicly, um, just to the wait list. And then there's some fun sphere and sundry stuff. Um, one, um, the theme of Monday is going to go on pre-sale again at the beginning of December. So if you missed out on that the first time, that's available. And then um, uh, Kate's putting out a series. It's uh, It was from last year. Um, we did a Mars conjunct Jupiter in Aries series. Um, and so... I'm actually going to be handling uh, the write-up and putting that together um, because we, we've, you know, is uh, we've tried to be really thoughtful about what magic to expose Kate to while she's got an extra job, and we didn't think like super hot, you know, courageous, triumphant Mars energy was the best idea. Um, so I'm going to be uh, principally irradiated by that, and uh, I'll do the I'll do the write up. Um, so, but I'm excited for that uh, to come out. You know, we wanted to we're thinking about what to release at the end of the year, and with this, um, you know, uh, we've been complaining about Mars a lot, and with good reason. But you know, since that Kazemi, we've just begun another two year 
um, uh, another uh, another two year Mars cycle. You know, we're like um, hours after the new moon, but for Mars. And so with uh, the Mars, Mars, uh, Mars, Sun and Sag, it's like, you know, it's a Mars Jupiter energy, but a way shittier version than we caught a couple years ago. So I'm excited to release that Mars, Jupiter and Aries. Nice. That's awesome. Um, what are the websites? So it's spheerandsundry.com for the uh, talismanic materia creations and then austincopic.com for classes, lectures, and workshops. Awesome. Cool. I'll put links to that, uh, to your website in the description below this episode. Um, as for myself, I already mentioned the 2024 uh, year ahead electional astrology report that Lisa and I just launched, um, which is available on the podcast website. Um, I also just released our annual astrology calendar posters where all of the artwork that we use in the episodes each month, we actually put in a single uh, large wall poster that you can use in order to look up the dates and the different astrology of the year at a glance. So the calendar shows ingresses, lunations, retrogrades, and major aspects. Um, like I said, it's the same calendar we show during the forecast, but in a quick poster format for the entire year. I always have one above my desk so I can look up the transits quickly at a glance, especially when we're doing the forecast episodes, but also even just when I'm like scheduling things or other stuff like that. So um, I'm running a sale where you can use the coupon code Jupiter during checkout to get a 10% discount on the posters until January 1st. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash merch. And that's the order page for the posters. Um, in other news, I've been dealing with a thing since June, actually, where Amazon stopped carrying my book due to some sort of weird algorithm glitch, I think. And I've been trying to negotiate getting it back on Amazon, but they finally got back to me over the past few months saying it's not happening. And for whatever reason, they can't change the algorithm so that while my book is still available from secondhand sellers, um, Amazon itself doesn't carry it and ship it directly anymore. And I don't know how to get around that. So I'm still trying to figure out a workaround. If anybody knows anybody at Amazon that can help me out, send me an email and let me know at the astrologypodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, though, um, I know a lot of people order my book for the holidays because I always see like a huge uptick in sales. And then I realize in retrospect that it's people buying gifts for like astrologers and buying an astrology book for them. So as a result of that, I'm running a sale on my book. If you buy, if you buy it directly from me through my, my printer, where the book is only $30 until the end of December, which is a big discount from the usual $48 cover price. So um, I'm going to put a link to that at the top of the page on the HellenisticAstrology.com website. If you go to HellenisticAstrology.com slash book, at the top of it, you'll see a section there titled Holiday Sale 2023. And there, there's like a long and complicated link to my printer, which is Ingram Spark, where you can order the book at a huge discount. So um, yeah, check that out there. I'll put a link to it in the description for this episode for more information. And other than that, I'm going to be trying to record year ahead horoscopes for each rising sign during the course of December. I'm going to try to live stream those through YouTube. Uh, and then Austin and I, we're going to do the year ahead forecast for 2024. And we're planning on recording it in front of a live audience of patrons on December 22nd. So if you want to join us in the audience for that live and get early access to it, 
just sign up through my page on patreon.com for the astrology podcast, and then you'll get access as well as a notification and webinar registration link as soon as it's been scheduled. Um, but I think that's it for this forecast. So thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks everyone in our live audience who's joined us and commented. It's been really helpful um, during the course of this, and we've gotten some good feedback. And um, yeah, thanks for joining me today, Austin. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. And congratulations once again. I'm super excited about, I'm super excited for both of you and looking forward to seeing your new like journey in the future that's starting next year. I don't know. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's, um, you know, um, it's a one way ticket, right? That's the, it'll, that'll be a fact for the rest of our lives. I like that. And all of that also sounds true for the forecast for 2024. As we'll find <laughs> it's, out. It's a one-way ticket. Yeah, <clears> as <throat> we'll find out next month. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. And we'll see you again next time. All right. Take care, everyone. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including patrons Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. In exchange, you'll get access to some great subscriber benefits, including early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the forecast each month, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, which is only available to patrons, a whole exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast that's for patrons, or you can even get your name listed in the credits. You can find out more information at patreon.com astrologypodcast. If you're looking for a reliable astrologer to get an astrological consultation with, then we have a new list of astrologers on the podcast website that we recommend for readings. Most of the astrologers specialize in birth chart readings, although some also offer synastry, rectification, electional astrology, horary questions, and more. Find out more information at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. 
You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine, which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening both in person and online May 23rd through the 27th, 2024. You can find out more information at norwac.net.